Okay. Right. Bible says, And certain men came down from Judea. And certain men came down from Judea. Now, this is the what you call the Jerusalem Council. Uh, and, 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 and this Jerusalem Council uh, was established or instituted at about 52 AD. That was 20 years after the ascension of Jesus. 52 AD, which was 20 years after the ascension of Jesus. The first Jerusalem Council was 52 AD. All right. Oh, I don't know what's going on with this thing now, but yes, that's why it's want to embarrass me. <laughs> 52 AD. All right. So what we might do right now is to bring your Bible and I'll bring my Bible. We just read it together. Okay. Because the software is not softwareing. Okay. Now read from my scripture and you read from your scripture. Okay. So bring your Bible. We may not share our screen today. Bible says, and certain men came from Judea. And I said to you that the Jerusalem Council was about is instituted at about 52 AD, which was 20 years after the ascension of Jesus. Okay, the Bible says, and they came from Judea and taught the brethren. Remember, Paul and his crew had come back to Antioch. So they are in the Antiochian region. And the Bible says that there were some guys that came from Jerusalem. Remember, I told you the last time that the focus has left Jerusalem and the focus is now in Antioch or at Antioch. The Bible says that while Paul was preaching the gospel of salvation, justification by faith alone, the Bible says that some guys, some men had come from Judea to teach the Antiochian brethren. They've come from Judea and they say, you know what, we've got a message for you. And the Bible says, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That's what they say. Unless you are circumcised according, like I told you before, to understand the book of Acts chapter number 15, we have to go to the book of Galatians. For Galatians will deal with the Judaizers. Now, who are the Judaizers? The Judaizers are the Pharisees who are saved with the pinch of Moses. They believe in justification by faith alone with a pinch of works. So they are brethren, but they are not fully saved. And that is heresy. Because the name will arise in the moment called heresies. Heresy or heresy. The Bible says, they say that unless you are circumcised, you cannot. The Bible says, unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved. Unless you are circumcised. So they were speaking to the uncircumcised Galatians, uncircumcised Gentiles. If you spend the time to look at the book of Galatians chapter number 2, you realize that these were the Judaizers. So un unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved. Now, the, the idea is not just circumcision. Uh, the, 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 the concept of circumcision there is uh, a broad term for the law. In figure of speech, you call this synedoki. And, and synedoki means once for all. Using one thing to generalize everything. It's called synedoki. Right? They're not trying to make it euphemic. It's synedoki, which means one, you do one thing to broaden a whole generalization. So the context here is not just uh, uh, circumcision. The concept here is the law of Moses. So the Bible says, unless you are circumcised according to the law of Moses, you're not saved. So they are saying that salvation is by not just faith, but also by the law or by works. Does that make sense? Unless you are circumcised by the traditions of Moses, you are not saved. So they are saying that unless you keep the Sabbath, unless you, you observe the dietary laws, unless you, you know, uh, circumcised and all of these things, you're not saved. Now, they've come in from Judea. 
to teach this false teaching. It's important. The Bible says, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, which is the law. Remember, these Gentile guys, these are Gentiles, they had nothing to do with the law. They had nothing to do with Abraham or Moses. So remember, back in the day, now this is not strange, because back in the day, proselyting was not a New Testament thing. To proselyte means that you're leaving your tradition and embracing Judaism. So proselyting, the, the a proselyte is someone who's left his religion and has, and has pursued Judaic religion or practice or Judaism. So proselyte was not an alien. It was something that was known. So different people will become Jews or become, you know, uh, observe the law of, of, of the Jews, the traditions of the Jews, the laws of Moses. It wasn't new. But, but what they are teaching is different because they are saying in order to be saved, you have to. But what Paul was teaching that you are justified by faith alone. And then they said in verse number 20, verse number two, therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, now this is a very good, interesting part. It is a known fact, right? It is a known fact that when the Jews talk, their voices are naturally loud. Just saying hello to themselves is like they're fighting. They're very loud. They gesticulate. They are very much with a lot of handwork and gesticulation. They are very loud. So for them to have this level of argument, they must have been raving and raging. The Bible says, therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension, and this it was a big fight, Paul and Barnabas, who believed that they are justified by faith alone, began to fight with these Judaizers. And these Judaizers had come as the big boys of Jerusalem. We're the ones that know the law. We're the ones that know grace. We are the ones that understood the concept of salvation. We are the ones that understood the ministry of Jesus. So we are coming with a new message. Paul and Barnabas are not deep enough. We are the deep guys from the headquarters. We are the big boys. You guys are small guys. You are Antiochians. You know nothing. Paul and Barnabas are not deep enough for you guys. We are coming with depth. So the Bible says that Paul and Barnabas had a massive argument with these guys. They practically fought. They fought practically. And the Bible says they, and they determined, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up with them to Jerusalem. All right. They, they determined that some others should go up with them to Jerusalem. The Bible says to go up with them to Jerusalem. Let's keep reading. To the apostles and elders about this question. Verse number Verse number one, we again, verse number two again. Bible says, and they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others. So there were a few others that went to Jerusalem. Paul, Barnabas, and certain others. You'll find the certain others in a moment. Paul, Barnabas, and certain others. You might find titles there, but let's keep reading. Okay? Or you might find, you know, uh, of silence. Let's keep reading. The Bible says to ask about this question. What was the question? Can the Gentiles be saved without the law? That was the question. Can the Gentiles be saved without the law? And the Bible says, so being sent on their way to the church. Remember, these guys, they've had an amazing church, an amazing Antiochian church. The church of Antioch was growing and that is a form of distraction. And the Bible says, and being sent on their way by the church, the church of Antioch sent Paul, Barnabas, and a few others to Jerusalem to cross-check notes, to make sure that all Paul was teaching was so. And like I mentioned before, to understand this passage is to look at the book of Galatians. That the Bible says they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles and they caused great joy to all the brethren. These guys have been told to be summoned before the Jerusalem council. Even though Paul and Barnabas and a few of the guys from Antioch 
We are going to Jerusalem. They were winning souls on their way. Didn't he allow the Judaizers frustrate him? Even though we are going to Jerusalem, on our way we win souls. It's interesting that these guys were so missional. That even though the Judaizers had come to frustrate their work in Antioch, they were going to Jerusalem to compare notes to ask about salvation by faith alone or salvation by faith and works. On their way, the Bible says they came through Phoenicia and Samaria describing the conversion of the Gentiles and they caused great joy to all the brethren. Amazing. Verse number four. And when they had come to Jerusalem, do you not just love Paul? That wherever Paul goes, the soul is one. And that's the reason why Paul will be frustrated in chapter number 16. Because at some point, a lady did not make him win souls. The Bible says in verses number 4, And when they had come to Jerusalem, I'm reading my notes still, the Bible says, They will be as received by the church and the apostles and the elders. Now remember this. They were received by the entire church, the ecclesia, the apostles, apostolos, and the elders are called presbyteros. Now, the word presbyteros is where you have the word presbytery. These are elders. These are those that gave uh, prophetic jurisdiction, or prophetic, you know, uh, uh, um, judgment. These were like the judge of the church. These are like the Sanhedrin. Some translation will tell you these are the Sanhedrins, or a part of the people, they were called the elders of the church. So we have the entire church, we have the apostle, and you have the elders. So this was the church government back in the day where you have the apostles, and then you have the elders, but there are also prophets as well. The Bible says they've come to the, to the church in Jerusalem, received by the apostles and the elders, and they reported all the things that God had done with them. But some, look at verse number five. The Bible says verse number five. But some of the sect, that was sect is important. They are believers, but they are sect. The Bible says, but some of the sect. Now, when you find the word, but a lot of time is called an adverse conjunction. What does an adverse conjunction do? It tries to negate the joy. It tries to negate the affirmation. So Paul and Barnabas and the rest of the guys had come to Jerusalem. On their way to Jerusalem, they had once one souls in Phoenicia, had one souls in, in Samaria, and had reported to the leaders, to the elders, to the apostles, what God has been doing. But there's a set of people, that adverse conjunction means opposition. That word sect is called iresis. And the word iris is where you get the word heresy. And the reason why they are heretic is not because they don't, they don't believe in the word. They are only erect because they have a, a, a doctrine that is not true. Uh, how were they heretic? The Bible says, but some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed, they believed also. They rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Hold on one moment. These are Pharisees who believed. Now, Pharisees means to be pious. It means to be separate. But they are believing Pharisees. But the reason why the Bible called them a sect, Iresis, A-I-R-E-S-I-S, which from where you get the word heresy, is because this is a sect of believers who felt like the law was not good enough. And it was from this sect that released men to go to Antioch to preach or to teach justification by faith and works. Do you understand? So it looks like in the Jerusalem Council, it is divided in, into those that believe in the works and faith and those that believe in work and faith only. So or it looks like the Jerusalem Council have not come to understand what it means but that when Jesus said the end of the law. So these sect of people are believers. They believe in Jesus. They believe that Jesus died and resurrected. They believe in justification. But they don't understand how they would deal with circumcision. How are we going to deal with the Sabbath? How are we going to deal with the law? So they understood for some reason that Jesus is Lord. But they are a sect that have come to grasp that Jesus had paid the ultimate sacrifice. So in, in, in some part of your heart, you're thinking, 
I believe Jesus has paid the ultimate sacrifice, but what about Moses' one? So does he have a pinch of salt, of, sorry, a pinch of Moses, a pinch of Abraham, a pinch of the law? So they are called a sect. So from the scripture, you realize that this sect of Pharisees are believers who are heretic. And let me bring this to your attention. Now, make, I want to make you aware of this. There is a difference between a teaching false and a false teacher. A lot of true teachers teach false doctrine because they don't know. So it is possible to be a, a good, a true teacher, but teach heresy. It is different from being a false teacher. Now, teaching heresy doesn't make you a false teacher. It just means that your doctrine do not align with scripture. A lot of us teach false because we teach based on our level of revelation. I don't have the full picture of the scripture. So a lot of times we have doctrinal differences. That doesn't make us false, but it makes our messages false. Does that make sense? So there's a difference between a false teacher and teaching false. These guys are not false teachers. They are just teaching false because the Bible says they believed. Are you hearing me, church? They are not unbelievers. They are believers, but taught false doctrine. You and I, a lot of times, we have differences in eschatology, differences in amateurology, differences in ecclesiology, differences in anthropology. We have differences in our theological submissions. That doesn't make us false. It just means we have false teachings. And we may not have the full picture just yet because Christ will eventually teach us the full picture. But what the Bible is saying right now, that these guys believe, and I do not want to call them false. Because they believe. That's what the Bible says. They believe. They believe because they are justified. But the only problem is that they don't know how to reconcile the work of Moses with what Jesus has done. So they are called a sect. Heresies. Not because they are false. They are a sect. They are not false. Are you, are you hearing me, church? They are a sect. They are not false. I wish I could write, guys. There were a lot of things I could have written. I'm broken some word in the Hebrew and in the Greek. My software is not soft, softening me. It's giving me wahala. Okay? So, the Bible said, but, but now you realize from verse number 5 that the guys that had come to Antioch were from this sect. We are from these guys who said, how can the Gentiles be saved without the law? Because according to their Judaic practices, proselyty was not a new thing. People had, 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 become, had, had observed the Jewish practice. So, it's not new for them. And the people who observed the Jewish practice prior to the New Testament, they observed the law of Moses. Now, they're asking, hold on one moment. How can these guys be saved without the law of Moses? The Bible says in verse number 6, where's it going? Uh, like I mentioned to you before, circumcision. Now, remember in Acts chapter number 7, when Paul, sorry, when Stephen was dealing with the Sanhedrin, Stephen made a mention of circumcision. Circumcision was before the law. Now, circumcision was in the time of Abraham in Genesis chapter number 17, I believe. And in circumcision, God said to Abraham to circumcise the male children, catch it on the eighth day, as a sign of his covenant with them. So circumcision predates the law. Circumcision was before the law. And again, uh, uh, Peter and James will explain this much later. And remember the purpose of circumcision. And I gave you the scientific reason why circumcision was done on the eighth day. And I told you in Acts chapter number 7, when Stephen was before the Sanhedrin, it mentioned to them that on the eighth day, Abraham was meant to circumcise his sons. And the reason why, it takes eight days for probentine, which actually allows for vitamin K that causes blood clots. Because without that vitamin K, they would bleed out. So the reason why, and that probitin is formed on the eighth day. Anything before the eighth day will cause bleeding or will cause hemorrhage, will cause bleeding. So it is necessary that a child is circumcised on the eighth day. Why? Because probitin would have been formed. And probitin was responsible for vitamin K that allows for blood clot. 
So we understand the health reason why, the health reason why uh, they are circumcised on the eighth day, but it's also a religious practice of that. So what this guy is saying here in chapter number 15, that you know what, these guys cannot observe the law of Moses, why? Because they are Gentiles. So we read in verse number 6, that's the problem, that's Wahala. In verse number 6, the Bible says, Now the apostles and the elders came together to consider this matter. It's a big matter. It's a theological matter. This is the elders and the apostles coming together to resolve theology. This is actually a theological matter. And, and this is a matter that is academic, for real. They have to reason with the law. What does it mean? Uh, and the Bible says, And when they had been much dispute, they argued. The apostles, the elders, Paul, Barnabas, they all argued. This is the second argument. The first one was when they went to Antioch. Now, in Jerusalem, they were arguing. The Bible says in verse 7, And when they had had much disputes, okay? When they have had much disputes, uh, Peter rose up and said to them, Remember, Peter was in Jerusalem still. Paul was in Antioch. Now, Peter rose up and said, This is interesting. It will blow your mind what you're about to read now. Peter rose up and said, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago, now that good while ago was 13 years ago in Acts chapter number 10 when he went to the house of Cornelius. Remember, he had the trance and then he saw the wild bees that we read it before and he went to the house of Cornelius and all that. That was 13 years before. Now this is 13 years later. So for 13 years, these Jews still did not get it. Even more than that because they, they, they were saved before, uh, before that time. These guys they did not get it. So Peter rose up and said, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago, so that good while, remember it's 13 years, right? A good while ago, God chose among us that by my mouth. This tells us it was through the mouth of Peter that the Gentiles were saved, through Cornelius. By my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the Lord, the word of the gospel and believe. You hear the word and you pistil, pistils, believe, in verse 8. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledge them by giving them the Holy Spirit. We read that in the book of Acts chapter number 10. The Spirit of the Lord came upon them and they began to speak in tongues and they were baptized, right? Testifying of the goodness of God. And then the Bible says, you know, give them the Holy Spirit just as, Bible says, just as it did to us. I remember Peter said in chapter number 10 that indeed God chose no partiality. Now, Peter was saying to them again, remember when Peter went to Jerusalem, he told them what happened with Cornelius. Now, Peter was explaining to them again, 13 years later, this guy did not get it. They didn't get it. If you don't get it, forget about it. <laughs> the Bible says that, uh, so the Bible says, it's giving them the Holy Spirit as it did to us. It's giving them the Holy Spirit as he gave us. God shows no partiality. That's number nine. And made no distinction between us and them. Purifying their hearts by faith. Not by works. So Peter was preaching the gospel. Have you noticed something in Peter? Before the Holy Spirit came upon Peter, he always talked wrong, said the wrong thing, and at the wrong time, at the wrong place, always saying the wrong stuff. We believe that Peter was just one immature guy. Do you realize that after the baptism of the Spirit, he's become a whole brand, a brand new man. It's like dope. It's like deep, deep, deep. The Bible says, purifying your hearts by faith. Look at verse number 10. Now, therefore, why do you test God? Now, Peter was saying to the Jerusalem council, Now, why do you test God by putting a yoke? The Lord is a yoke. By putting a yoke 
on the neck of the disciples, which neither our father nor we were able to pay. What Peter was saying to the Jerusalem guys, you guys in the Jerusalem council and our fathers were unable to carry the yoke. They could not fulfill the requirements of the law. Why do you want us to put that yoke on them, which we and our fathers were unable to bear? What's Peter saying? Why do you want to put on this, this work on these people that you couldn't even fulfill yourself? The law was perfect, but it was a yoke. The law was not unholy. The law was holy. The reason why the law condemned because we cannot fulfill it. The law has requirements. And because we cannot meet up with the requirements of the law, we are penalized by the law. Does that make sense? And it is a yoke that we cannot carry. We cannot afford to meet with the requirements of the law. So it condemns those that are under the law. And Peter calls it a yoke. And it's interesting how Jesus is the fulfillment of that burden. And that's what Peter was saying to them. Why are you going back to the law? Why are you forcing them to go back to, to, to religious circumcision? Why should they observe the Sabbath? Why should they observe this? Or why, why should they do that? Why are they under the law of God? This is a yoke. It's a yoke. And you guys know it's a yoke. And Jesus has told us again that he is the fulfillment. Why are you allowing these guys to go back to the yoke that you cannot even bear? And that was the question. And that's the question I'm asking you today. Why are you going back to the law? And that's what Paul would write in Galatians chapter number 3. Oh foolish Galatians who bewitched you, Beskino, that you are going back to the same law you've been freed from. Because these Judaizers had come to the Galatian region, like I mentioned before, the three regions that make up Galatia is actually Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. And the Bible said, we are unable to bear the yoke. Why are you putting it on their necks? It's unfair. But see what Peter says. But we believe, and this is the part that 99% of theologians miss it. Look at verse number 11. Or your eyes, verse number 11. Peter had mentioned before that he had the Holy Spirit like they did. Look at verse number 11. I love verse number 11. The Bible says in verse number 11, But we believe that through the grace of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Hold on. Hold on. Look at it well. Look at the word well. Peter was saying that he believes. Peter said, we believe that through the grace of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Hold on. I thought the Gentiles would be saved like the Jews. Peter said the Jews would be saved like the Gentiles. Peter included, him, included himself. Oh God. I call this an amazing term. You haven't heard it before from anywhere? It's my word. It's called salvific inversion. <laughs> salvific inversion. Or inverted salvation. Peter is saying that the Jews are saved better than they. Sorry, that the Gentiles are saved better than the Jews. It blew my mind. Peter was saying that we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that we will be saved as they. Not they will be saved as us. <laughs> because he's saying that they don't need the law to be saved. We were been under the law for a long time. <laughs> Oh, God is amazing. See the inversion? We pray that one day we'll be as saved as they. I, I, I thought the Gentiles would be as saved as the Jews. But Peter says, no, we will be as saved as they are saved. Because guess what? They have no burden. They have no law. 
They have nothing that they can have to that. These guys actually receive and believe there is nothing they can put on their faith. You Jewish guys, you're coming down from a, 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 a clouded by the law of Moses, burdened by the yoke of the fathers. These guys have no yoke, have no burden. They believe and they are saved. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. So Peter stood before the council and saying, by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. What was Peter saying? Peter was saying that they are saved by justification alone. You are saved by justification alone, but you think you need the law. <laughs> are you following this church? So the Jews had re-salvation. The authentic one. Anyway, verse number 12, the Bible says, Then all the multitude kept silence. What can they say? They kept silence and listened to Barnabas and Paul. Not Paul and Barnabas here. Remember the last time we read? Paul and Barnabas. Why? In Antioch, Paul was the one that was not known. Paul and Barnabas. In Jerusalem, even though Paul had some clout there, they don't really like him that much. So it has to be Barnabas and Paul. Just to let you know, a change of name is a lot of times speaks volume in embracing when words appear first and where the context of the place oftentimes matters. The Bible says, uh, are they listening to Paul and, and Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had walked through them among the Gentiles? This guy, had this, they had receipts for days. They had a lot of receipts how God had performed many, many miracles, days upon days. Are you hearing Days upon days, they had a lot of receipt for that. Days upon days. Bible says, then, all the multitude kept silent. Then, all the multitude kept silent. Read your comments as well. Yeah? Tag me on that word. Salvific <laughs> inversion. All the multitude kept silent as, as they spoke. The Bible says, through them, the Gentiles, verse number 13. And after they had become silent... James now answer, and I've given you the reason why it was James. Now James was the chairman of this board meeting. Okay, this is like the August annual annual um, annual general meeting, AGM, right? And this guy by the name of James, Jesus's brother, not the one that was killed by Herod. I told you that one's dead already. But James, the one that Herod took, was actually John's brother. Ready before the Bible says, James answered and saying, "Men and now hear me, what James want to say." Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared, chapter 10, how God at the first at first at the first visited the Gentiles. Simon means Peter. You might find Simeon in your Bible. That's just a break word. Okay, the um Gentile word. Bible says a break word. The Bible says has declared. Simon, Simon, Simon Peter has declared how God at the, at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. God visited the Gentiles to take out a people for his name. That people is taken out is called the Ecclesia. A people for his name. Those that are called justified by faith in Christ alone. This new organism it's not gentiles anymore it's not greek anymore it's become the ecclesia it's become the church i told you the last time in second corinthians chapter number 10 chapter number uh, 10 verse 32 i believe uh, we have the three classes of people the gentiles the church of god and israel the bible says and with this 
words. Hear me. With these words. With this rather, the word that now 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 you know me, I'm gonna press into the text. James stood before the council and said that through the mouth of Peter, God was calling out of people for himself in verse 15. And with this, with what? With the fact that Peter had said that God was calling the people for himself, with this, the words of the prophet agree. Hold on, hold on one moment. What James is saying here in a nutshell, James is saying that what Peter said agrees with what the prophet Amos said. That's the reason why Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter number 1 verse 20 and 21 that no scripture is of private interpretation. That through the mouth of holy prophets, you know, the words agree. What James is saying that whatever Peter had said is a confirmation of what the prophet said. Therefore, the prophet Amos agrees with the apostle Peter. That's what they say in a nutshell. And now he's going to quote the book of Amos chapter number 9, verse 11 and 12. So what he says, And with this, the words of the prophets agree just as it is written. Therefore, what this guy is saying, that everything in the New Testament was aligned with everything in the Old Testament. Like I see every single time. The New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. And the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. It is one book. It is one God. It is one document with two covenants. The New Testament do not negate. It completes and fulfills. The Old Testament is not the opposite of the New Testament. So whatever you find in the New Testament has been, will be fulfilled or has been fulfilled in the Old Testament. There is no negation. Everything in the Bible is perfectly, perfectly knitted together. There is no mistake. And I like the fact that James, the brother of Jesus, is justifying the oneness of the graphe, the oneness of the scripture. That both the Old Testament and the New Testament are one testament. It is the same book, just different covenants. So what this guy is saying in chapter number uh, uh, 14, verses number 15, that what Peter was saying about the justification of the Gentiles makes sense to the prophet's testimony that the church will be called. Now, remember this. This is a mystery. Now, it's always been in prophecy from the Old Testament that there's a Gentile people that will be included in the economy of God. Now, what the Jews did not understand is the equal right that the Jews and the church have in the administration of Christ. That mystery was given to Paul. And that's what we spend the time to look at chapter number three of the book of, of, of Ephesians. You will see that the mystery of the church was given to Paul. Anyway, let's read what the Bible says in the book of, um, um, in the book of uh, uh, Amos chapter number nine, verse 11 and 12. Now, James is trying to testify to the people that what Peter was saying was already prophesied. After this, this is quoting the book of Amos now. It's Amos. I will return. Now, if you look at the previous verses from verse number 1 to verse number uh, 10, it speaks of the destruction of Israel. After this, I will return. So, if he's going to return, it means he left before. He's going to return someday. After what? After this, after what? After the inclusion of the church. Let us think for a while. And this is the reason why we have to be very careful of supersessionism or replacement theology. 
Because the church has not replaced Israel. That's what the Bible says. After, in the, in the Hebraic understanding of the word, the word after is the church's dispensation. After the church. How do we know that? Look at the book of, of Hosea. Hosea chapter number 5 verse 15. Let's look at Hosea 5.15 in one moment. Hosea 5.15. Just to give you a clue. Hosea. Hosea is just uh, uh, after Daniel. Hosea chapter number 5. I'll read verse 15. See what the Bible says in Hosea 5.15. I will return again to my place. If he, if he will return again, means that he left before. I will return again to my place till they acknowledge their offense. Who? The Jews. Then they will seek my face. In their affliction, they will seek me earnestly. Hold on one moment. So it means, therefore, that it is the Jews that will summon the second coming. Okay, Oscar, maybe they're not ready for this. So when the Bible says in Amos that I will return to my place, it's meant that he let now remember the tabernacle of David is different. Oh God, help me today. The tabernacle of Solomon is different from the palace of David. Palaces are where you have thrones. Tabernacles are where you have Levitical sacrifices. The Bible says after this, after, after the church's dispensation. Now, this thing called the Gentiles. When did it start in God's economy? There was a difference between the times of the Gentiles and the fullness of the Gentiles. Now, this is speaking of the fullness of the Gentiles. Romans 11, 25. When was the time of the Gentiles? The times of the Gentiles was when God began to deal with the Gentile dominion. From the time of, of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. We have the Babylonian Empire, then we have the Persian, then we have the Greeks, then we have the Romans. And that has been what you call the times of the Gentiles. And we are still in the times of the Gentiles. But the times of the Gentiles will come to a space where you have the fullness of the Gentiles. Now the fullness of the Gentiles is the number of people in God's economy that is called the church. And after that number has been, nowhere in the Bible you will ever find the number of the saved Gentiles. You always find the number of the saved Jews. Okay? Let us sing it for a while. When the Jews got saved, you find them 5,000, 3,000, and 2,000, and a lot of people had it. But whenever the Gentile church was saved, it's always a great number added. There is a number of people in God's economy. Once that number completes in God's economy, God the Father will say to God the Son, it's time to take the church. That is called the fullness of the Gentiles. Romans level 25. That is a number in God's economy. That is a number in God's administration. That is a number for the church. We don't know the number. We don't know who is missing. It might be your brother. That's the last one remaining. Better evangelize because I'm tired. This place is giving me wahala. Alright? You do not know. It might be your mother. It might be your father. It might be your uncle. It might be that girl you don't want to talk to. She might be the last person in God's economy that should be saved or would be saved in God's perfect administration and the church will be taken. So the Bible is saying that in verse number 16, after the church's administration, I will return. What is it returning for? It's returning to establish is what is millennial kingdom on the earth. So I will return and I will rebuild again the tabernacle of David. Bible said again, I will rebuild, that's verse number 16, I have it here. I will rebuild again the tabernacle of David. The tabernacle of David is different from the temple of Solomon. The temple of Solomon is very Jewish. The tabernacle of David is inclusion of a new economy. Jesus is not building again the temple of Solomon. He says, I will rebuild again the tabernacle of David. That tabernacle of David is a palace. It's a throne. 
There is a, is building its messianic kingdom, not a temple. Follow me, church. This is the messianic kingdom that will be established on the face of the earth. The Bible says, I will, I will, I will rebuild. Because there was one time a, 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 there was one time a throne, a temple. I will rebuild the, the, the tabernacle of David. And that this reminds us. The Bible says in the book of Luke chapter number 1. I believe it's Luke chapter, I have scripture, Luke chapter number uh, 1 verse 31. The Bible says that the angel came to Mary and said to Mary. The blessed are thou and thou shalt bring forth a child. It shall be, the Bible says, it shall rule on the throne of his father. Let's look at the book of Luke chapter number 1. Luke chapter number 1, I'll read verse number 30, 31 to 33. Bible says, and behold. No, I'll read from verse number 29. Let's see the prophecy that the angel Gabriel gave to Mary. You follow me, church? Let's see the prophecy that the angel Gabriel gave to Mary. Because you're about to do this good right now. The back, Facebook, Instagram, if you can hear me, give me a thumbs up. If you can see me, give me a thumbs up. I want to make sure. Okay. I want to make sure you can hear me loud and clear. Give me a thumbs up if you can hear me. Right, I've got the Facebook, YouTube, hear me, and also Facebook. Right, let us roll. The Bible says in Luke chapter number 1, verse 31 to 33. The Bible says, I read from verse number 29. But when she saw him, she was, this is Angel Gabriel and Mary. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner the greetings was. In verse 30, then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus, Jesus, right? I'll call him Jehoshua. Jesus means Joshua. That's what he means in the Hebrew, Jehoshua. But I say, he will be great and he will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God, the Bible says, will give him what the throne of his father David, not heaven. Jesus is not on his throne in heaven. Jesus is by the right side of the father in heaven. It's not on his throne in heaven. But he will have a throne on the earth. The Bible says, but he will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, there will be no end. That was a kingdom that was promised to Mary that Jesus will rule from. It is an earthly kingdom. Are you hearing me, church? It was a prophecy that was given. And that is the establishment of the Messianic kingdom on the face of the earth. It is not just spiritual, there's a spiritual kingdom, but this is a literal messianic millennial kingdom. So the Bible says again, if you go back to the book of Acts chapter number chapter number 15, verse 16, we have a lot of work to do, guys. It's going to be a bit long today, sorry. The Bible says in verse 16, after the church, I will return, I will restore, rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has been fallen away. I will rebuild its ruins, the Bible says. I will rebuild its ruins and will set it up. So that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. What is the rest of mankind? The Gentile nations. So that not just the Jews, that is in the temple of Solomon, but the rest of the world. So that the rest of mankind, that non-Jews, those that are not just allowed, not just the temple people, but now the palace people. Because the, the millennia kingdom is not just a Jewish thing per se. It has the inclusion of the church. It's a, it's a messianic temple that is very much church focused. The Bible says, May seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by his name, which is the church. So even all the Gentiles who are called by his name. So the prophet Amos was prophesying the kingdom to come, that the church will, will be part of that, that government. That the church will be part of that administration. 
And that's what James was saying. Says the Lord who does all these things. God said it in the scripture. The prophet Amos was prophesying of future millennium and saying that the church is an economy in God's government that will be part of that administration. And he's saying that the time is going to come when the church becomes part of that economy. Now the Bible says in verse 18, Known to God from eternity all are his works. All are his works. God is the God of all creation. All are his works. The Bible says, therefore, verse number 19, I judge that we should not trouble these. So let's not trouble these Gentiles. Now, but it's, 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 summar, it's summarizing. Say, therefore, I judge, in verse number 19, that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. Let's not be a, a problem to them, and, and even the church as well. Let's not be a burden to those that are coming to the knowledge of Christ. Let's not trouble those that are seeking the Lord. Let's not trouble them. That's what the Bible says. But that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, from blood. You realize what it says to them? Let's just encourage them to be to not, not to do not to involve in sexual immorality idolatry, you know, uh, things sacrificed to, you know, let's just, uh, let's, uh, you, you look at the scripture, they didn't mention circumcision, they didn't mention Sabbath, those solid, heavy Judaic practices. But let's just tell them to avoid, because why? Because sexual immorality and ad, 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 idolatry and sexual immorality were the two big, uh, I call it tears or the big vices of the Gentile world. So the Bible says in verse number 21, For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preached him in every city, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. So we've had, we've had the, uh, the law of Moses read in every Sabbath. It's always being off on time. This is a new economy in God's, in God's administration. The Bible says in verse 22, Then he pleased the apostles and the elders with the whole church. So now the whole church are saying, well done, we believe the word of the Lord. It pleased everybody. But to send, Bible says it pleased the old church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch. Therefore, this is telling us that the first guys who went to Antioch were not chosen. Now that these Jerusalem council have heard Paul and Barnabas and have heard some of the guys, have heard Peter and James, the chose, Bible say, they sent chosen men from their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also called Basabas, and Silas. This way, you call, this way you find Silas. These two guys are prophets, by the way. Leading them, leading men among the brethren. Now, this is the part. So, even from the Jerusalem council, the first guys who went to Antioch, they went of their own accord. They went because this sect called the heresy or heresy, these guys sent them. But now that they've established the, the true doctrine and the true understanding of this new covenant, they sent two guys, two prophets, Basabas and Silas. You might call him Silvanus later. So we have the real, the real emissary coming now, not a fake one that went there. The real guys are coming now, which are Barnabas, Paul, the same guys from there, from Antioch that came with them to Jerusalem, uh, Basabas and uh, and Silas, Basabas and Barnabas are different ones. An apostle, one is a prophet. You see that in a moment. The Bible says, namely, Basabas and Silas, leading them among the brethren. Verse number twenty-three. They wrote this letter. They called epistole, right, which epistle. They wrote this letter by them. 
And this is what the letter says. The apostles, the elders, and the brethren. To the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Remember, I gave you the map the last time. You have Antioch in the west, in the eastern part. Up there, you have um, Cilicia. You have Tarsus. Then if you go on the far, further right, you have um, uh, Derby, Iconium, Lystra. You have Antioch of Pisidia. Then you have, you know, coming down, you have Perga. You have Pamphylia. You have, you know, coming down again, you have Cyprus, where you have um, Pamphos and, and, uh, and uh, Salamis. Okay? So this is the church of Antioch. And they receive the letter now. And it says, Greetings. Since we've heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words. Basically, they're saying those guys who went from us are fake. Troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law. That's what you are saying. To whom we gave no such commandment. Now we realize of whom we gave no such commandment. We realize now that the guys who went to Antioch we are people who just formed their own sect and decided to go to Antioch to teach false doctrine. We didn't command them to go. These guys are Judaizers. They are, they are teaching heresy. Does that make sense? And that's the reason why you must test our spirit, right? That the Bible says we didn't give such commandment. It seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, 26, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, the real representative of the Jerusalem council. Not the fake one who went before and was teaching justification by faith and works, but the real guys. Pasabas, which is called Judas, and Silas. Bible says we've sent uh, Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by the word of mouth. So we are sending the real guys to come, and these guys will come and tell you what we told your apostles. Because they are waiting. They were waiting in Antioch for a settlement of the matter. A big commotion was happening there. So Silas and Basabas will come and tell them what the council said. Bible says in verse 28, For it seemed good, the Bible says, to the Holy Spirit and to us, to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, which are that you abstain from those uh, things offered to idols from blood, from things strangled, from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well. Basically, they didn't talk about the law. They didn't talk about Sabbath. They only said, keep yourself from sexual immorality, from idolatry, from eating things sacrificed to idols. From That's what they said, you'll be clean. That's what they said. The Bible says in verse 30, So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch. And when they had gathered the multitudes together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, the letter is called Epistole, by the way. And when they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. They rejoiced over. When they had read the letter, they were excited. Whoo, finally. Finally, they read. The Bible says, they were rejoiced over its encouragement. So the church of Jerusalem encouraged the church of Antioch. Very important. And the Bible says, Now when Judas and Silas themselves, being prophets also, from here we see that Judas and Silas, you are prophets also, being prophets also, exalted and strengthened the church with many words. Hear me? With many words. The prophets exalted. The word exaltation, parathesis, it means that they release the word which means to bring near. Hold on one moment. They didn't say, I hear your name or I prophesy. 
they exalted with words. Prophets, where did we get this teaching that we don't, we don't have to read the Bible or we don't have to be deep in the word or we, just, we let just prophesy and that's no. The Bible says they taught the word of the Lord. They exalted them with the word and the Bible says they exalted the brethren with many words. I wish the church went back to the days where the prophets opened the Bible. Nowadays, when we tell you, you're going to be the next ABC, I see the Lord is giving you a new business, it's opening your new da 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 da, and we'll keep saying this stuff. But my question to the church right now do we still have worded prophets? Do we still have prophets that will spend the time in the word and on the word of the Lord and break the text of scripture? That's what they did in verse 33. Bible says, and after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. So after they, they had stayed there for, for a season, they were sent back to Jerusalem with the apostles. But the Bible says in verse 34, I love 34. Moment. In verse 34, the Bible says, however, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Silas did not go back. Silas stayed with Paul. Does that make sense? But to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Does that make sense? So Paul and Barnabas were in Antioch with Silas now. Silas had come to join them, preaching the word of the Lord. Are you following me, church? In verse 36, we have just about five more verses for this chapter. We finish that in five minutes. We'll jump to chapter 16. Bible says, then after some days, Paul and Barnabas said, let us not go back and visit our brethren. In every city where we have preached the word of the Lord. And see how they were doing. So right now, they are going back for discipleship. Let's go back to Antioch in Pisidia, in the Galatian region, in, in Lystra, in Derby, in Iconium. Let, let's go to that area and see how they are doing. Let's go back to Galatia. Let's go back. The Bible says in verse 37, Now Barnabas was determined to take excuse me, John called Mark. Remember in, in Acts 13, Mark ran from them because Mark was afraid of the Galatian region. That region was bad. It was like a terrorist region. And this guy, Mark, was afraid of them. He ran, ran away from them, went back to Jerusalem. Now, Mark is the nephew to Barnabas. And now Paul and Barnabas are saying, let's go back to encourage the church. For some reason, it looks like Mark wants to join them now because now he's heard of good testimony going on in the Galatian region. And he's feeling all left out now. He wants to be part of the big boys now. Because these guys are coming from Antioch to testify of good things. Now Barnabas, sorry. Now Mark wants to be part of a good, uh, uh, two shoes, right? He wants to be part of the numbers. But you left them, Mark. You left them, John Mark. You left them when they were going through that hard stop that time. You left them because it was a very hard time. And if you look at chapter number 13, I believe. In chapter number 13, I wrote it down here. Acts chapter 13, verse 13. The Bible says, let's just flip back to Acts 13, 13. Just a couple of flipping back. Act 13 says, Now when Paul now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Paga in Pamphylia. John departing from them. That's what the Bible says. John was departing from them. John was departing from them and went back to Jerusalem. So John has gone back to Jerusalem. So I'm wondering why is John coming back? But Barnabas needed his nephew to be part of, part, part of the ministry. Bible says, now Barnabas was determined to take with him, John called Mark. But when Paul insisted they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work, 
Then the contention, the Bible says, then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. So basically, Paul and Silas separated because of John Mark. Barnabas needed his nephew. But Paul said, your nephew is a weakling. Your nephew was afraid of the Galatians and ran back in, ran back to Jerusalem because his mother was very wealthy. Ran back to mommy's boy. Mommy's boy ran back to Jerusalem. It was his mother's house that they were praying when Rhoda refused to open the door for Peter. You went back to mommy. You couldn't. You you you, you said you are caught to the gospel. So Pete. So Paul was upset that Barnabas reconsidered his nephew, and because of that, they split with. Now don't get me wrong. In Second Timothy chapter number four, verse eleven. Actually, let's open Second Timothy chapter number four, verse eleven, because Paul will call him back. 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter number 4, verse 11. Let's see how uh, a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. In 2 Timothy four, uh, chapter number 4, verse 11, the Bible says, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Now, Paul is saying that John Mark... Is useful to him for him in ministry. So whatever it was for, for after a while, Paul had forgiven John Mark and needed John Mark to join him in ministry. So this their contention they had was just temporal. It wasn't a, an ongoing thing. It was temporal. He was angry at this moment, but later it will call forth for John Mark to join him. So the Bible says then the contention became very sharp that they parted from one another, and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Barnabas took Mark and came to Cyprus. Remember we read Cyprus before in chapter 13 and 14. And then the Bible says, But Paul chose Silas, the prophet for Jerusalem, and departed, being commanded by the brethren to the grace of God. In verse 41, the last verse before we end this, the Bible says, And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So what did he do? Barnabas went with his nephew and came to Cyprus. Bible said they came to Cyprus, right? But Paul went further and went into the Antiochian region in the, in the eastern part, and then went to Bible says he went to where did he go right now? Uh, he went through Syria and Cilicia, going up on the other side there, right? Just almost opposite there, Lystra and Iconium on the other side, which is close to Tarsus, Cilicia, and and Antioch in that region. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, we'll find that in chapter number 15 that the, uh, the, the Jerusalem Council that was established in 52 AD, we had Peter and James who also uh, confirmed the word of the prophet Amos in chapter number 9, 11, and 12 that the church is included in God's eco economy and that, you know, and that this all thing about justification by faith alone is the real doctrine, not with works. And we saw they went to Jerusalem and they came back spending the churches. But what happened, unfortunately, uh, Barnabas and Paul didn't get along because of John Mark. John Mark had to go with his uncle and then Paul took Silas with himself. And you're going to read that, Paul and Silas, in prison in chapter number 16. I want to do right now is give you another, say, uh, five minutes break to, to, to stretch yourself and I'll be back again. So take a five minute break and be back again in five minutes. God bless you and I'll see you now.
I think All right, let's go. Let me bring it back to my notes. We are almost there. Hopefully, we are going to do this quickly. Okay. We'll pray that you can see us still. Pray that you can see us still. All right, so I might have to, all right, I might have to, um, this one I'm going to write, so I'm going to write this one so you can join me one moment. Let me just see and hopefully I can get uh, 16 here. Let me see if I can get my screen up again. Okay, I think I can get my screen up. All right. If you can see my screen, let me see your thumbs up. If you can see my screen, we want to look at chapter and a half. I've got you on your side. I might be able to write now. Oh, God. <laughs> I miss writing. I miss writing, but you can see my screen. Yes, you can. Let me bring this down a bit. Whew, have you been blessed so far? Apparently, I need a cold malt. <laughs> oh my gosh. Ah. Amen. So, I see Mama Agatha here. Yeah, Mama, we love you. Thank you for joining us. All right. So, we want to look at chapter number 16. I'll let you go. This will be short. This is 40 verses, I believe. The last one was 41 verses. This is 40 verses. <laughs> All right. So, let us roll. Let us roll. Let us roll. Okay, all right, chapter number 16. Okay, Oscar, are you ready to do this right now? All right, open your Bibles. Let's look at chapter number 16. All right, so, uh, chapter number 16 of the book of Acts is an interesting one uh, because chapter number 16 will deal with we're going to leave, we are still in the Galatian, Asia, Asia region, the, we call the Galatian region. We're going to come into a bit of Europe, okay? Uh, the northern, the northern Greek, the Grecian region, the northern part, which is Europe. That's the demarcation between the two spaces. Uh, Paul would want to go to Asia Minor, which is different from this part of, you know, uh, Galatian region. But the Lord would, would, would refuse for him because that space was already saved for the Apostle John. All right. So now that you are here, is it blurry? Someone says blurry. Is it really blurry, guys? Is it blurry there, my audience? Someone says blurry. <laughs> Let me see. I think it's the focus. But yeah, we're probably going to wait again. Okay. Okay, it's not blurry. <laughs> All right, let's roll there. Yeah. Chapter number 16. Let's go. Okay. Yeah. All right, so we want to read chapter number 15. Paul and Silas, sorry, Paul and Barnabas have fallen out. Friends fall out, you know. But it should never be. 
at the expense of the gospel. Paul and Silas's falling out was family problem. So family problem has been from time. Listen, there is no perfect church, you know. As amazing as Paul and Barnabas, so not Paul and Saul, Paul and Barnabas. As amazing as Paul and Barnabas were, and these were leaders who confronted the Judaizers. These were leaders who held on to the truth of the gospel. These were leaders who traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria to Jerusalem to get the consent from Peter and James and the elders of the church. These were leaders who stood until their words were heard. These were leaders who made sure that the prophecy of Amos, and we find that also in Hosea, was, was said. These were men who came back and exhorted the believers and they were all excited. They could not resolve family problems. Listen, family problem is actually an issue, you know. It doesn't matter how, how, how much you know the word of the Lord. Family issue is a thing. So you can imagine, if these guys can resolve doctrinal problem on this level of bringing the law, but they cannot even resolve themselves. It's not easy, you know. <laughs> Who says church is easy? God. Church is not easy. Paul could not resolve with Barnabas. I mean, they'll resolve later. They'll come back later. He's going to have back John Mark later. But for the time that it was, you would have wondered, does, does, you would have wondered that Paul would never have this kind of issue. There was an issue in the church. There was an issue. As mature as the church was, as amazing as the church was back in the day, there was still Wahala in the church. Two, two leaders We are beefing. <laughs> Barnabas and Paul are fighting. Well, let's read chapter number 16 quickly. Let's look at the Bible. Let's see what it says to us. Let's roll. Amen. Let us go. All right. Now, Bible says, Then it came to Derby and Lystra. Hold on. It came to Derby and Lystra. And that's, I love this book. We ended the last time. We ended the last time with this. And this was the map. You know, I drew the map the last time. This was the map. Yeah. yeah. And this place here I have here was called, this part here, the eastern part, was called Salamis. Salamis. This part here was called Paphos. This part is, so you have Antioch. On this side here, you have um, Cilicia here. You have Tarsus here. Right? On this side, you have Iconium. You have Lystra. You have Derby. You have Antioch here, which is Antioch Pisidia. We have Pamphylia here. Right. Remember when they ended, Barnabas came here to Cyprus. This is Cyprus. But Paul came further to Antioch in Syria. And then he's going to go further again. See what, see what, see what, see Paul? So Paul was, so Paul, Paul was going to exhort the churches again. So Paul is this one, the yellow one. He went further. So chapter number 16, we see Paul in this region. And Barnabas is here in this region. Okay? Let's keep going. I like to draw, right? I love map. Map is one of, once you understand maps. Anyway, let's keep reading. I don't want to talk too much. Let's keep reading. The Bible says, and when he had come to Derby and Lystra, where he was stoned to death or beaten to death, Lystra. The Bible says, when he had come to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy. Hearing me, church? Now, this again, like I said, it's going to be the invasion of Europe, okay? It's been dealing with the Galatian region. It's going to come to Europe now. Bible says, the um, 
It was in Lystra that he was stoned to death. The Bible said there was a certain disciple called uh, Timothy. Now, Timothy, let's read, the Bible says it's called Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed. So her mom, his mom rather, was a Jewish woman who believed, right? But his father was Greek. Now, Timothy was his convert on his first missionary journey. So remember, he had gone to Derby and Lystra before, and that was where he met Timothy. Now, this Timothy would become the first bishop of Ephesus much later, after being his protege for a while. This guy was about 16 years old here, when Paul encountered Timothy during the Derby, Lystra, you know, thing, the first missionary journey. The Bible says when he went back there, he met a certain disciple who was named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. So this guy had a believing Jewish mother, but his father was a Greek. Was Greek. Bible said it was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Interesting. So the believers in Lystra and Iconium say that this guy called Timothy is amazing. It's amazing. It's a, it's a good disciple. And, and it's interesting the Bible says, Paul wanted him to go with him, or Paul wanted wanted to, to have him go with him. Now, Paul is looking for a replacement. Now, he's got Silas, he's got Silas, who was a prophet, but also need a protege. The Bible says in verse 3, that Paul wanted to have him go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were at that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. This will blow your mind. This will blow your mind. Why did Paul circumcise Timothy? Because of the Jewish prejudice. Jewish prejudice. If he had not circumcised Timothy, so basically what Paul is doing, Paul is using Timothy as an extension to reach the Grecians and also reach the Jews. Paul knew that his ministry would not be accepted by the Jews in that Grecian region. So he had to circumcise this guy by the name of Timothy, whose father was actually a Gentile, Greek. He didn't have any circumcision. But Paul was trying to express his ministry through the instrumentality of Timothy to reach out to his Jewish brethren in that region. So Timothy will be, some, will, be, will be two things for Paul. Timothy will reach out to the Gentiles with Paul and Timothy will also reach out to the Jews. Are you following me? So you realize that Paul's ministry is extending through Timothy. But I like this scripture, and I always use this scripture for sonship. You see, Paul was defining to us what sonship means. Timothy at this time was about 16 years old. And the Bible says that Paul wanted to have him go with him and took him and circumcised him because of the jail. Let me talk about circumcision. We've talked about circumcision already. Circumcision is a very painful practice. And you are 88 days old. As a child of eight days, you may not feel the pain like an adult. So babies that are circumcised, they may not feel the pain like an adult. This guy was 16 years old, about 16 or 17. And this guy submitted his loins in the hands of his father, Paul. I want to make it very clear. What qualifies you as a son is your ability to submit your most sensitive part of, your, of yourself. I don't know what that means. I'm not talking about your physical nakedness. I'm saying the, the most sensitive part of your, your of yourself. Your, 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 you're not a father until you're willing to expose your shame. So you're not a son until you're willing to expose your shame. Your father should be able. Yeah, this is the part that will blow your mind. Your spiritual father should be able to peel out from you the things that are not needed in your next season. 
in order for Timothy to reach out to an audience that may not receive his message, he had to go through pain. So a lot of times when you are under a spiritual covering and they make you bleed, it's not because they hate you. They make you bleed because there was a layer that you carry that will become an enemy, that will become an enemy to your future. Say it again. A lot of sons have left spiritual covenant because they could not handle their pain when they were being caught. I would know the quality of your sonship, not just how you say you love me, but how you are able to manage your wound when you bleed. <laughs> Paul says, submit your weakness. Submit your most sensitive part and I want to deal with it. And the purpose for circumcision, we understand that, is the concept of pruning. That the, the Bible says, I prune you so you can bring more, bear more fruit. Paul was not castrating, he was circumcising. And to circumcise means to remove the foreskin. And every father in the faith always has a prophetic foresight to see a foreskin that is an enemy of your advancement. And a lot of times when father begins to deal with this foreskin, a lot of you don't like it. And many of you have come out of the covering of covenant. Why? Because you are unable to manage the wound. The fathers are not there to castrate. They are there to circumcise. And many of you have left fathers who had the right blade and had the right bandage and have gone to men who had just scissors and knives. Let me say it again. Many of you have got frustrated with your fathers who are meant to circumcise you and they've gone under coverings, men that, that castrated you. Many of you have become castrated because you didn't manage your circumcision with your real father. You've gone into a wrong covenant and the man who circumcised you that had the prophetic future of your destiny, you've left him for another man, another woman who castrated you altogether. Many of you have not been able to bring forth fruit. Why? Because you've gone through you've, you've missed circumcision and have entered castration. Let us seek in for a while. Seek for a while. You left your recovering that loves you and that, that, that sees the future and understands that it's a demon on the other side of the door and he's saying, I'm trying to deal with your shame. I'm trying to deal with your pride. I'm trying to deal with your... Bring, I want you as a son, I should be able to hold your most sensitive part. What are your shames? Timothy was a young, he was a young man. He was 16 years old already. But he was willing to submit his most sensitive part. As a father, I want to hold forth your shame. I want to hold forth your pride. I want to hold forth your, your, your rejection. I want to hold forth whatever it is that is, a, is, a, that is a, an enemy to your future. It's your shame. Bring it before the hands of your father. And that was what Paul saw. Paul saw a man that has an amazing destiny but had a problem in the future. Right? Because if it's not circumcised, his message will not be received. I believe even right now, many of you right now are not trying to guilt trip you, but there were a lot of people that left covenant covering. Why? Because they couldn't manage their wounds that was the wounds that was given to them through a circumcision, and they've run onto other fathers who cut them their loins altogether. The quality of your sonship is how you manage your wound when you bleed. How can your spiritual father talk to you and the next day you block him? Or you reject him? Or you curse him? Or you go to a new leader? Why do we have many sons uh, uh, castrated today? Because they could not handle their fathers when they were bleeding. I don't want to spend all the time here today. I'm doing that already. How are you able to manage your, 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 your wound when you bleed? 
Are you able? Um, my, my spiritual father don't, don't call me, I'll go to a new father. And, you, and, and, and now you're wondering why you haven't born more fruit because it's only the one that circumcises. That the Bible says the, 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 the tree that is pruned will bear more fruits. Pruning, which is circumcision, which means to cut the layer, is to make you bear more fruits. So the Bible says that Paul circumcised Timothy. Why? To bear more fruits among the Jews, not just the Gentiles. Circumcision is necessary. Why? Because the purpose of your spiritual leader, your spiritual father, is to chop off the loins that stops you from creative or from, 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 from reproducing. That's why a farmer, a planter, would have to prune the tree to reproduce. I don't want to spend time here. I'll just, I'm not talking about sonship today. But we live in a world when we have fathers correct people. They turn their back and say, I'm leaving your covering. I'm leaving your church. Why? And, and, and they, they end up leaving fathers who have the right, the right blade. And they've gone to men with scissors and they've chopped the loins off together. Fathers don't cut loins. They circumcise that. Be very careful how you run from, right, from recovering because you are hurt. And you're unable to manage your pain. You've gone to a demon. Let's keep reading. The Bible says, Events 4, As they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and the elders of Jerusalem. So, what these guys did, Paul, I love Paul. Paul continued with the message he received from Jerusalem. Abstain from, you know, um, strangling animals, no sexual immorality and idolatry. They continued with the same message. Alright? So, the churches we are strengthened in faith and increased in their number. Realize that the Gentile church always increased in numbers, but there's no specific amount. There is an amount in God's economy. We don't know the amount on this part of life. But I feel like when that number reaches, God will send the Father. The number is complete. Maybe it's 1 billion people. Maybe it's 2 billion people. Maybe it's 5 billion people. Maybe it's 100 billion people. I do not know. Maybe it's a trillion. <laughs> no, of the trillion. 7 billion. I don't know. There is a number in God's economy. And once that number is complete, God will come for the church. Okay? Bible says the church grew daily. The church grew daily. Bible says, we'll look at the Macedonian call. Verse number 6. Let's keep reading. Verse number 6. I'm going to draw some more. Verse number 6. The Bible says that when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia. What's the region of Galatia? Iconium, Derby, and Lystra. I told you before. The Bible says when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. What you call Turkey today? Asia Minor. Hold on a moment. So, they were allowed to preach in Derby, Lystra, and Iconium. But they were refused to preach in Asia Minor. Why? Because God will reserve John. John will be exiled by Domitian in AD 85 to 95, 85 to 90. And it was a Patmos that John will write. So it looks like this area was reserved for John. But I have a I have a I have a I have a another view. The reason why. This is just my view. When Jesus predicted the death of Peter that he would cross up, turn upside down to be crucified. Peter asked the Lord, how would John be, how would John die? And Jesus says to Peter, it is not your problem how he dies, but this one will see the end. <laughs> he prophesied that John will see the end. And that's an interesting prophecy. Why? Because John is the only one in the Bible that saw the end for real. What do I mean by that? John saw the end the coming of the second coming and the rapture. Just saw, John wrote the book of Revelation. He saw the end. So even though John at Patmos, now after Patmos, 
Domitian died. Remember? Domitian is the brother. No, we have Vespasian. Dom, leave the issue now. Domitian dies and then John comes back to Ephesus. John retires at Ephesus. But it's interesting how this part of Asia Minor was reserved for eschatology. This part of Asia Minor was reserved for the church. Sorry, it was reserved for the completion. Remember I told you, the book of Acts is divided into chapter number 1 to 7, Jerusalem, chapter number 8 to 12, Judea and Samaria, chapter number 13 to 28, the outermost part of the earth. But 28 is not the end of the book of Acts or the church. 28 is not the end of the church. So even though Paul would write to chapter 28, John took it to Revelation 2 and 3. So what the Lord is saying here is that I've reserved that region for John. The Bible says, now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, follow me, church, they've gone through to the region of Galatia, make sure you can see that, region of Galatia, the Bible says they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach. Let me say to you, not all doors, not all doors that are open are the Lord's. Be very careful because Satan sends invitation too. Jesus, after time in scripture, would reject the invitation of the Pharisees because they want to invite him so they can indict him. Not all invitations are the Lord. Sometimes when God closes the door, look at it's open the window. <laughs> Not all closed doors is God. Why me? Why me? Why? Sometimes when God shuts some doors, it's because it's opened up a window somewhere else. Be very careful. How you receive invitation because not all invitations are God's invitation. Sometimes God will shut that big door you've been praying for. Lord, I want to be on the platform with such ABC and God will shut that door. Not because he doesn't love you, but because God understands that it's a monster on the other side of the door. Be very careful. How you whine and cry and say, God hates me. Some doors are shut by God. Some relationships are shut by God. Are you hearing me, church? You've been praying, God, Lord, I need a husband, I need a wife. And then you are seeing this guy. And all of a sudden, the relationship cracks and it dies. It is oftentimes, I mean, sometimes it is the Holy Ghost. What you call breakup, sometimes it's breakthrough on the other side of revelation. So sometimes when the door is shut, it's not because God doesn't love you. It's because God loves you too much. Okay. 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 God shut the ministry door. You know the reason why? There's a better plan. Because God wanted the mission to spread abroad. Remember I said, and you shall be witnesses even to the uttermost part of the earth. We have to take it to Europe. We've stayed in the Asian region too much. John is going to deal with the Asian, the Asian minor. You come to Europe and he's going to come to Philippi in the moment. And the Bible says, in verse 7, after they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Holy Spirit said, no, it didn't permit them. Now, Bithynia is the southern side of the, of the, of the southern side of the Black Sea. You have the Black Sea, the southern side of the Black Sea is Bithynia. So they were going to Asia Minor, the Lord says no. That they're going to the other side, the other part on the, on the, on the, on the, on the southern part, God says no. God shut two doors. Hold on. This is Apostle Paul. God says no. And the Bible says, God did not permit them. So in verse number 8. So passing by Maisha, they came down to Trous, which is the coast. They came to the coast, Trous. And look at verse number 9. Now this is going to change. 
And a vision appeared to Paul at night. Now, God, what do you want me to do? You block all my doors. And now God will show him a vision at night. Remember, this time Paul is having a vision again. One time he had a vision of Ananias coming to, rest, to, to open his eyes. Now, God will speak to him why he doesn't want him to go to Asia Minor. The Bible says, And a vision appeared to Paul at night. It's a night vision. A man of Macedonia that I believe will be Luke, the guy who wrote this letter. I'll show you the reason why. The Bible says, And a vision appeared to Paul at night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Macedonia is on the other side. The northern side of the Grecian, of, of the, the northern side, which is Europe. There's a, there's a divide between where he is right now and he's going to take the coast. But Bible says in a vision, he saw a man who says, come over to Macedonia and help us. It's what you call the Macedonian call. You see a lot of churches say, oh, we have the Macedonian call. The Macedonian call was a vision that Paul had. And in the vision, there was a man, we don't know the name now, there was a man who said, come in a vision. The Bible says in verse number 10, now after he had seen the vision, immediately we, that's a change of word there, we, the writer includes himself. This is the first time the writer of this epistle, the book of Acts, includes himself and says we. The Bible says he had a vision. He's still writing the narrative from a scribe, from a narrator. Now the Bible says that in verse 10, now after he had seen, after Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. Does that make sense? Remember, this guy is writing much later after this event. So this is the first time you find the word we sought. So, so the writer has included himself in this Macedonian call. And the writer was Luke. So this reason we believe that Luke was part of this movement. The Bible says, now after he had seen, we believe that Luke was the one who was calling for help. Luke was the one who was in Macedonia. It was the one calling for help and said, we need the help. We believe that Luke was the one that Paul saw in a vision. The Bible says, uh, we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord has called us, see it again, to preach the gospel to them. It's one of two things. It's, it's one of a man or someone different. Or, but you realize that the writer has included himself in this narrative and saying, you find the word us, we, we, we. So it's included himself on this journey. And we believe that this is the inclusion of Luke to this gang. Bible says, therefore, now remember, Troas was the coast. Sailing from Troas, we ran the coast to uh, Samothrace and, and the next day to, to Neapolis. I need to write that down. To Neapolis. I was going to write that. Now, Neapolis was near the border of Philippi. They've come to Thras, to, to Thras, which was the coast, and the Bible says, and they, 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 we ran, Bible says, therefore, sailing from the coast to us, right? We ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day, we came to Neapolis. Neapolis is the harbor of Philippi. And Philippi is Europe. Welcome to Europe. Now, the gospel is coming to Europe for the first time. They have dealt with Asia Minor. So, they've dealt with the... the uh, the, the, the the eastern part. Now they are coming to Europe. All the Europeans in the house, where are you? Europeans in the house. May I also say to you that in the scripture, what the Bible says, 
you know, and you shall be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost part. That word part in singular, uh, it's most likely might be Britain. Why? Because it comes out in the Scottish constitution. But again, I'm not going to go there today. Allow that sink in. But might be Britain. The gospel might have come there at the time. The Britain. If you look at the, con the, the Scottish constitution, you find a path there. But again, let's leave that for another time. The Bible says they've come to Neapolis. And Neapolis is the, the harbor, or is the harbor, the seashore, is the harbor of Philippi. So now we are coming to Philippi. Remember, we've talked about, you know, uh, Caesarea. That's the Caesarea of Philippi. Now, they've come to Philippi. And the Bible says, and from there to Philippi. They've come to the, the Apollos, which is the harbor. And now they've come to Philippi. Woo! The Philippians. And remember, Paul wrote the prison epistle. And there were four prison epistles that Paul wrote. There's an epistle, Paul wrote an epistle when he was in prison. Okay? When he was in prison. These were four of Paul's prison epistles. All right. For number one, we call it a prison epistle. You can write that down, prison epistle. Prison epistles of Paul. Okay. Number one, we have the book of Ephesians. Number two, we have the book of um, Colossians. Number three, we have the book of Philippians. Number four, we have the book of Philemon. These are the four books that Paul wrote when he was in prison. We'll call it the prison epistle. So Paul was on a house arrest in Rome. You know the story already. And from there he wrote to Ephesus. Ephesus speaks about the body of Christ. He wrote about Colossians, speaks about the head of the body. Wrote to the, those in Philippians. So to understand what Paul did here in Philippi, look at the book of Philippians. It talks about Christian suffering and the Philemon will deal with Christian intercession, okay? So, these were four epistles Paul wrote when he was in prison arrest, okay? So, once you understand that, so to understand Christian suffering, look at the book of Philippians because Paul will suffer here. That's what you read, but at midnight, Paul prayed because there was a suffering that he suffered in Philippi. And he's come down, down he's come through Thrace, he's come to Summer, uh, he's come down to um, Summer Thrace, he's come down to uh, 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 Neapolis, which is the harbor of Philippi, he's coming to Philippi proper now, okay? So let's go back again to the reading of the word of the Lord. Okay, are you blessed so far, by the way, guys? The Bible says, in verses number 12, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of the part of Macedonia. So Paul had come to Europe, he's come to Macedonia, which is the a foremost city and the bible says important the bible says you know uh part of a, a colony bible says and we were that the writer is saying we again and we were staying in in this in that city for some days philippi thirteen hear me thirteen all the women in the house this will blow your mind They've come to Europe. They have no lead. Nobody. 13 says, On the Sabbath day, when we went out to the city, to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made. The seaside. It's not a, a Jewish, it's a seaside. 
and we sat down and spoke to the women we met there. Hold on one moment. It takes 10 men to form a minion or what you call a synagogue. When 10 Jews come together, 10 men, they form a synagogue. But these were not Jewish. Mm. Because Jewish women or Jewish men form a synagogue. But these were women. Ah, this is the part now. These were women who were praying, by the way. If you're a man, you mean, and you are, whether you are a complementarian, you may not like this. The Bible says, we sat down and spoke to the women we met there. The first people that this Pauline camp met, met was to speak with the women who were praying. It was the women prayer group. You realize that in the scripture you read in chapter number 14, we read last week, that the Pharisees had you know, stirred up you know, the prominent women and, and, uh, and uh, the famous women to cause a rival in the East. But these are another women who were praying. I'm coming somewhere in a moment. The Bible says in verse 14, Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple in the city of Thyatira. <laughs> in the city of Thyatira. The Bible says, Who worshipped God. The Lord opened our heart to heed to the things spoken by Paul. Now they were already praying. They've heard the gospel. But the Lord opened our heart to heed. Everyone has rejected Paul. But the Lord opened our heart to heed to the things spoken by Paul. We don't know what the things were now. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, Come to my house and stay. So she persuaded them. It was through the ministry of a woman. It is that in a household of a woman that the Lord spread the gospel to Europe. Okay. I need all my students to come here now because the Bible says that she, Lydia, who was the woman, who Bible says she 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 she's a seller of purple. She was a, a you call it a, a marketplace apostle. Oh God help me! She was a marketplace apostle. She had a job and also prayed. She had a job and was a prayer woman. The Bible says that when she has received all Paul has said, and I believe what Paul has said, what she received could be the receipt of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that it was her house that the guys camped. It was through this woman and her hospitality and maybe a financial provision because she was a marketplace woman that she was able to accommodate these emissaries or missionaries to preach the gospel to Europe. So dear brothers and sisters in the European part of the world, America, England, and other western part of the world, may I say to you, especially in Europe, that this gospel of the Lord that came to us came in through the hospitality of a woman. She was the voice that brought that revival or opened that door for Paul to preach the gospel in Europe. So if there is anything at all we want to do in this day and age is to bless the woman 
because she is the gatekeeper for the message of the gospel. The Bible says, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. I believe that this is an apostolic woman who opened the gate and opened the door to Paul to preach the message. Why? Because she already had a camp of women. There were already women praying by the riverside. She was like the leader of that prayer group. My goodness, no. She was the leader of that prayer movement. She was the leader. And for some reason, Paul already had disciples. Why? Because a disciples will become Paul's disciples. Am I saying something right now? She became the gateway. Paul did not have to beg anymore. Paul did not have to persuade him. You, you know when Paul was coming, he had to get uh, a Timothy and, and they circumcise him. He had Silas. Now, Paul had a band wagon of women. <laughs> I need all the women to shout praise God. <laughs> I need all the women to shout. Why? Because this is a woman who brought the gospel of the Lord to Europe. Mm-hmm. Brought it to Europe. I don't understand how our men today will say stuff like, the woman cannot preach. And she, and she brought the gospel to Europe. She was the one, she was, she, she, she was the door. Let's keep reading the scripture anyway. The Bible says in verse number 16, that is the part into the verse number 16. All right. Where are we now? Verse number 16. All right. Okay. All right. The Bible says, verse 16, Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination, you read it before, met us, who brought our masters much profit by fortune telling. I was saying to my wife today, I was giving her her history and understanding of the Greek mythology of what you call the spirit of divination. All right? So I want to bring you to a study briefly so you understand where I'm coming from because it's a Greek mythology. This they call spirit of divination. It's also called medium or channeling. All right? And I'll show you in a moment. I will, I will, I will explain this to you in a moment. Let's talk about the spirit of divination first and foremost. Okay? Now, this they call divination is the all Greek mythology. Now, let me help you. Apollo is the twin of twin twin brother to you know Artemis but Apollo is the son of Zeus and what had happened Apollo Apollo had you know uh, uh what he's a he's a uh captured or he's a had a fight with what he called Python now Python was a serpentine creature and had killed Python right a serpentine you know creature Apollo had killed Python. But what happened is that when Apollon did right now, he decided to create an office, a priestly office. And that office is often all uh, uh, occupied by a woman, a, a, priest, a priestess. And he called the name of the office Pythia. Okay, let's go back. Let me, let's write this now quickly, all right, because you're going to see this in a moment. Like I mentioned before, Apollo killed Python. Sorry, Apollo, A P O, right? L-L-O. Apollo killed Python. Now, Python was a serpentine sorry, serpentine creature. Okay? So, Apollo, who was the son of Zeus and the brother of Amethyst, right? Artemis, rather. Artemis. Killed this serpentine creature. 
And then what Apollo did was a instituted, that's what you call Pythia, a instituted P-Y-T-H-I-A, Pythia. And what is Pythia? Pythia is the role that is held by a high priestess. A role held by a high priestess. It's a role, okay? And it's a role that was held by high priestess who will become an oracle at Delphi. So this Apollo, the son of Zeus, the brother, twin brother to Artemis, you know, uh, fought with a python what, that was a serpentine creature and had conquered and killed this python and decided to create a role that is an oracle, an oracle for an oracle for Apollo. So it was an oracle for Apollo, but that oracle would be at Delphi. So what he did, Apollo did, when he conquered this python, he created a role for a high priestess, and that high priestess will become the uh, uh, prophetess, I'll come back to the moment, of the oracle for Apollos, for, for Apollo. So Apollo literally had a high priestess who was his prophetess, like the oracle. So in a nutshell, this thing that you call the Pythia was the prophetess of Apollo. Follow me slowly. Apollo killed Python and decided to establish a high priestly role and called it Pythia. And Pythia will be the prophetess of Apollo. And he or this priestess will speak inspired words. And that oracle will be at Delphi. Okay, let's go back again. The oracle will be at Delphi. The oracle will be at Delphi. Okay. D-E-L-P-H-I. And what is the purpose of the oracle? To speak on behalf of Apollo. To speak on behalf of Apollo. Why have I taken the time to explain this? Because when you read the book of Acts chapter number 16, you keep calling that girl a damsel. She's not a child. She's not a damsel. She's a priestess. We read the book like she's a little girl. No. She occupied, she occupied the role of a high priestess and brought in much gain from her, for her masters. So she was also a, a priestess of Apollo. It was soothsaying. It was divination. So when you hear the word divination, the original meaning of the word divination is uh, that it's a, a high priestess role that occupied the office of Pythia, an office that was a high priestess role who prophesied on behalf of Apollo. Apollo was the one who killed Python that was the uh, 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 serpentine creature. Are you following me, church? And, and the reason why, because when we look at the scripture, we keep thinking that girl was an innocent damsel. She was not an innocent damsel. She spoke on behalf of Apollo. Now that you know, now send your offering. <laughs> now that you know, send your offering. Okay? That temple was at Delphi. So she was the, she, this lady was the priestess. Of that deity, of that oracle. So the girl you call damsel in, in Luke's Acts 16, it's not really a damsel. In, you know, we hear the word damsel, we think of innocence. No. 
She actually is the high priestess that spoke on behalf of a Greek god. Okay. So when you hear the word divination, what comes to mind, ladies and gentlemen, is a soothsaying, speaking on behalf of. That's what divination means. You're speaking on behalf of another. And the reason why I've taken the time to take you through the, through the story of Apollo fighting with, uh, with Python, which was a serpentine, a beastly serpentine creature of that and started to create a, a role called a Pythia, which is a high priestess role. A high priestess role uh, and, and the purpose of that priestess role is to speak on behalf of Apollo. Does that make sense? And then it's a role that, 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 that uh, what you call the prophetic to the Lord is actually that to Apollo. All right? Because obviously we find Zeus as the father of Apollo, just like God, the father of Jesus. Does that make sense? So we prophesy on behalf of Christ, just like she prophesied on behalf of Apollo. It's that kind of mythology. All right. Now, this is the part that will shock you. Now, if you look at let's go back again to Acts 16. Look at the scripture. The Bible says, a certain girl possessed, she was possessed. The word possession means to own. She was owned by what? By Apollo. She was owned. She's an oracle that belonged to Apollo. You and I, we are owned by God. We are possessed of the spirit of God. Are you following me, church? So she's not a damsel. Because I see a, a preacher preach one time and say, you know, that little girl, she's not a little girl, she's a high priestess. And even if she was a little girl, she had a big role. <laughs> even if she's a damsel, she had an official title of a priestess. Are you following me, church? And the Bible says, who was possessed with the spirit of the python or divination. That spirit of python, or serpentine spirit, it's a serpentine spirit that possessed her. Who brought a master's much profit by fortune telling? And that's the difference between a prophet and a prophet. Because a prophet works by divination. But a prophet works by revelation. A prophet is inspired by demons, by spirits. But a prophet is inspired by the Holy Spirit. We saw right now the Bible say that she had a spirit of divination. But we have the spirit of the divine, of Christ. Bible says she does so by bringing a mass. Do you know how rich prophets are? False prophets? That what false prophets called pseudo prophetess. Do you know how rich these false prophets are? And that's the problem. My frustration with the church is that when the, look at it, when the true prophets come and speak to you about the word of the Lord, you don't encourage them, you don't bless them, but when the false prophet comes and tells you to pay 10,000 pounds, 20,000 pounds, you give them. Anyway, let's get pretty. The Bible says, this girl followed Paul and us and cried out. She was crying out. The Bible says, saying, it's interesting that when they came to Thyatira, all you find is women. And that's the reason why the word Thyatira means daughter. You must go to the book of Revelation chapter number 3. You realize that the two, you realize that Thyatira means daughter. All right. The Bible says, this girl followed us. And cried and say, these men are the servants of the Most High God. Now remember, she, she was the prophetess of Pythia, right? Bible says, who proclaimed to us the way of salvation. And she did it for many days. Now this is the problem a lot of people don't see. Uh, she was speaking the truth. But the source was a lie. She was speaking the truth. But the source was a lie. Just because it is true 
doesn't make it God. Because she wasn't fighting them like the other women you find, find in chapter number 14. The Bible said that she was speaking the truth. What was she saying? These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Hold on a moment. So not all demons lie. <laughs> but they tell the truth to deceive. Let us sink in. Not all demons lie. No, not all demons lie. The purpose for these demons saying this is to win them. It's a python spirit. The purpose of a python spirit, hear me what it does? It causes what? Doubt. It causes denial and leads to death. It's interesting that this same python thing, if you look at the book of Genesis chapter number 3, what did Satan tell the woman when he came as a serpent in the garden? <laughs> denial. Doubt that leads and leads to death. So you realize that this python, this python thing brings deceit. That's what Satan did to the woman in the garden. Deceit. And that is one is so this lady, this priestess, is deceiving the people with strategy. I will show you the reason why. She did it for many days, the Bible says. Paul did not discern. Why didn't Paul discern? Because Paul thought that this woman was with him. Because this woman had joined the other women who were praying by the riverside. And this woman was the evangelist now. My God, I wish I had the time. So this woman was saying, these are real men of God. Hear them. But guess what she's doing? As she releases the word, guess what happens? She releases a venom. Pythons release venom. And the purpose of venom is to stifle and strangulate you. So instead of the word of the Lord to come forth, you have an opposition that is a venom. I'll show you something in a moment. Just in a moment. This girl was saying, these are men of the Lord. But guess what she was? She was behind Paul. I'll show that in a moment. So when Paul will go ahead to be preaching the gospel, she was behind stifling the gospel with a fang. A venom, a python. Oh Lord, help me today. Help me today. Because you're going to see that in a moment. You will see that she was doing something different. Because Paul had done discern. Please, I beg you, don't lose God your discernment. I don't care how much you love the next person that's by your side. Never drop your discernment, especially if you are called to the ministry of intercession. Paul had come to Macedonia. No soul has been saved. Typically, when Paul comes to a region, souls will be saved. I'll come for many days. The Bible says this she did for many days. For many days, Paul has not won a soul. That's why Paul will be upset later. So Paul is wondering, it's been one week. I haven't won a soul. It's been one month. I haven't won a soul. It's been three months. I haven't won a soul. You know the reason why? There is a python behind your mission. There was a python that was, as, you, as Paul released the word of the Lord. Pyth do you know what python, do you know what snakes do? Snakes strangulate you and they, they fight against your air, your wind. Snakes strangulate you. So, why? Because the word of the Lord is through the mouth of the wind, the word. And when they receive the word, what the snake will do will strangulate the people. They cannot receive the word. Are you hearing me, church? She was not before, she was behind Paul. 
So when Paul was releasing the word of the Lord, she was releasing a venom. Paul was releasing a word. She was releasing what he called zizanion. That's what he called test or weed. Paul was releasing the word. She was releasing the weed. It is the word that is a seed that is sown that brings forth wheat. Matthew chapter number 13 speaks about the parable of the sower. The sower went in and sowed in the ground. And this woman is frustrating the wheat. Why? Because she was releasing a venom. I will show you this in a moment. The Bible says in verse, that's in verse, in verse number 18. But Paul, and the word but is an adverse conjunction, which is an opposition. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned. Why did Paul turn? Let me draw it for you. I'll show you this in my drawing in a minute. Okay? See why Paul turned. This is the Apostle Paul here, right? Apostle Paul. These are, these are, these are, no, let me, let me, let's say these, these are people, yeah, that, that want to hear the word of the Lord. Let's, let's just draw people here that want to hear the word of the Lord. Forgive my stick, man. These guys are ready to receive the word of the Lord. And this is Paul, the blue one. Let's call it, this, let's call this Paul. Paul. Paul is the blue guy. Paul is releasing the word of the Lord. But guess what? So he's releasing the word of the Lord to these people. Receive the word. Receive the word. Receive the word. Receive the word. Guess what happened? When they received the word, this girl, let me use the red one, a green, a green one, snake. All right? This girl here, that's a snake. What she does, Paul has released a seed, but she now, behind Paul, antagonizing the word as a python, releasing venom. So she was behind Paul, not ahead. But if she was ahead of Paul, Paul would have known. I can imagine this woman say stuff like, you know, snake, I don't act like a snake, I'm not a snake, okay? But she was frustrating Paul's effort. Paul has not won a soul in Europe. Listen, the demons in Europe is different, you know. <laughs> this serpentine thing in Europe is different, you know. But Paul has not won a soul. The Bible says so Paul was greatly angry. Paul was greatly, yeah, that's what she's a pythoness. That's what she's a pythoness for real. And that's actually the word. That, that's actually the word in the in the in the Greek uh, in the Greek mythology. Pythoness. The Bible says, Paul greatly annoyed turned. So for Paul to turn, image was behind Paul. Let me ask you a question: Who is who's got your back? Who's got your back? You are trying to build, 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 but you are wondering why what you are building is not is not working. Who's got your back? You're trying to invest, 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 invest. Who's got your back? Who's your BFF? I don't know, sound like I'm, I'm causing commotion right now. But who's got your back? Who's got your back for real? Who is the sister you call BFF? Does she really, does she, I mean, is she really watering your seed or she is putting a venom on your seed? Because there are two things someone will ever do for you. Value or venom. So I ask you a question. Who's got your back? Are they adding value to your life? Or are they adding venom to your life? Because Paul thought he had a woman who's got his back. Because Paul thought he had a woman who is saying, these are men of God. They've come with the word of the Lord. And Paul just let her be, have her back. And that's the reason why 
If you look at the whole armor, the whole armor of God, you find in Ephesians chapter number six, there is no back. Helmet of salvation, loins get of the truth, sword of the spirit, breastplate of righteousness, shield of faith. There is no back, and you have to be very careful. The hammer you put behind you, that girl you call your BFF, that guy you call your best friend, are they worthy armor to cover you or expose you? Who's got your back? And if there's any teacher I'm going to teach in this, this, this life today, it's who's got your back? Because anyone who is behind you always has something to offer. Value of venom. Have you wondered why whatever you've done, projects are not working? Even nothing seems to work because you haven't really critically analyzed who's got your back. Because if it's venom, it produces, produces much more. But so if it is value rather, it produces much more. But if it is venom, it will stifle the prophetic future and destiny of your seed. The purpose of a seed is to bring forth wheat, but hell will do everything to bring weed. A seed has to fall to the ground and die, and then produce much more grain. Well, ladies and gentlemen, hear me. That grain would only come to pass when you have a friend that gives it value. Another one that puts venom in it. Just so that you know who's got your back. And if there is anything right now among your friends, family and loved ones, do you really have my back? Because friends will bring value. Vipers will bring venom. Okay, let's keep reading. Babe, is that good? The Bible says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Jesus Christ. Come on. The Bible says, turn to her. I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. Is the name of Jesus. A demon cannot cast out a demon. They only suck out. I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And he, he came out of her. And that word he carries a news, almost like a news now. It looks like what came out of her? That, that spirit, that demon of divination, Apollo, <laughs> came out of her. And he came out of her. The Apollo came out. <laughs> it came out of her that very hour. But when our masters, who are the prophets, when our masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul, which is a big mistake because this would question their career. They seized Paul and Silas, now, they didn't seize Luke because Luke is not including we now. They seize Paul and Silas, there's no Timothy here as well, and drag them into the marketplace to the authorities. So when this girl has been delivered, there's a backlash. Hear me? Deliverance will cause a backlash. And that's the reason why if you are a prayer intercessory team, always pray for your leaders. Pray for your church. Especially when your church are involved in heavy deliverance. You know the reason why? Because every demon that has been cast out will do everything to want to frustrate the one who exercised them out. So please, pray for me. Pray for my wife. Pray for my family. Pray for our church. Pray for us. You know the reason why? Our church is heavy on deliverance. And when a demon is cast out from someone, I promise you, they will do everything to frustrate the one who's cast them out. So if your church is a deliverance church, heavy on deliverance, 
I promise you, there are masters. Some translation says magistrates. The word magistrate is a legal term. There are some legal places that we've been summoned to in the spirit because we've set people free. There were souls that we've set free and then hell has summoned. And our, our, our hope is that we have people behind us that's got our back. Not the one with venom. Because how, how are we going to deal with venom and then casting out demons? That's what happens. There is a repercussion. If your church is heavy on deliverance, cover your leaders. I beg you. I beg you. Because the warfare that they go through by just one deliverance. You can imagine if one, one diviner can cause these guys to be beaten. You can imagine how we cast out 10, 20, 30 demons on Sunday. You can imagine the level of sleepless night we have. And one of the truth, sometimes we don't sleep at night on Sundays after deliverance service. Heavy, rolling in bed, turning and tossing. Can't sleep. Because you sleep, you're seeing some demonic manipulation. Stressing your head off. Inflicting your bodies. You wake up in the morning with pains all over. It's not just the pain of casting demons. It's a physical warfare that affects your mortal bodies. Pray for us. Someone said to you right now, so if you're watching this live right now, lift up the brook place. Pray for myself, pray for my leaders, pray for our families, cover us in prayers because we come into a space of warfare. The Bible says, you know, um, but when a master saw that their hope of profit was gone, the Bible says that they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace. Marketplace was a communal place, communal place. Paul again is dragged. Paul was dragged to and beaten almost to death in, 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 in Lystra. Now Paul again in Philippi, in Europe, was dragged. Don't joke with these Europeans. They don't like Jesus. You preach Jesus to them, they want to drag you. And that's why we've been dragged. Go on social media, they drag us. We preach on deliverance, they drag us. Aren't you tired of dragging us? I don't know about you, but they drag us. They've been dragging us from time. <laughs> Bible says, and they brought to them, and, and they brought them to the what magistrates. Can you imagine? They brought them to the legal men, the magistrates, and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly and the reason why i feel like Sal um, salas was not there because silas Silvanus was actually greek so it's not there so just paul and salas here exceedingly trouble us and i love this these men being jews exceedingly trouble our city listen you are not a man of war until hell knows you by name <laughs> listen you've troubled hell so much that they can tell you demons can tell you you trouble us my god the Bible said these guys who dragged Paul and Silas say these men exceedingly trouble our city. Do you know what intercessors are? Intercessors are city troublers. They are city shakers. They are the real planet shakers. Oh my God, I wish I had the time. You want to talk about planet shakers? They are the real, these guys shake the city. I'm not talking about intercession that your church know your name. No, you're still a prayer warrior. And there's nothing wrong with that intercession to a space where hell know you by name. That you don't just shake your church. Because we have a lot of people that know how to scatter chair and shake their church. Ra -ga 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 -ga. But they don't know how to shake hell. I pray that we we'll have intercessors that your name will not just be known on the rota, but your name will be known in hell. That that one trouble us. Do you know what they call Elijah? Troubler of Israel. <laughs> the trouble of Israel. My question to you, how much of an intercessor are you that you shake hell? The Bible says they trouble our city.
they trouble our city. And so the Bible says, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us. Being Romans, they were, they were they, and that's the problem because their career will be in jeopardy in a moment. Why? Because Paul is a Roman. And they didn't ask about Paul's Roman side. They're only trying to judge his Jewish side. It's blow your mind. Being Romans to receive or observe. The Bible says, then the multitude rose up together against them. The multitude rose up together against them. And the magistrate tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. I don't know about you, but these guys' bodies, the kind of scar. When Paul say that, you know what? He's got a scar. That scar will be heavy. You know, Paul, Paul, Paul calls it thumb. Whatever thumb, whatever thumb that guy had, this guy's been beaten with rod again and again. Bible says they beat them with rods. Beat them with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, this guy, they had stripes. But I realize this in the spirit. Every stripe you have for the sake of the gospel. I'm going to the scripture again. Every stripe you have for the sake of the gospel on the earth is a stripe on your shoulder for the sake of the gospel. Say it again. Every, and that's why Paul will talk about Christian suffering in Philippi. This is the book of Philippians we're talking about right now. Every time hell puts a stripe on your body, heaven compensates it with a stripe on your shoulder. Uh, are you hearing me, church? So whenever you go through trials and tribulation, hear me, there is a reward that awaits you. Every time the devil tries to inflict you, God will elevate you. The Bible says they put many stripes on them. They threw them into prison, commanding the jailer, hear me, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. So they are put in prison, commanding the jailer. Remember, Peter was put in prison too, commanding the jailer. Then the Bible says, having received such a charge, the jailer, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet with stocks. Why inner prison? Because we understand that when the jailer or when the prisoner escapes from prison, the jailer would have to finish the sentence of the, of the, of the, of the prisoner. So what did he do? He put them in the innermost prison that they can escape. Because maybe he said the testimony of God has a way of opening prison doors. In my opinion, this jailer probably has heard in the time of Peter that an angel came and told him, and maybe one jailer then, I told him, bro, and, and, and I can imagine the paper came out and say, you know, protect your prison gates against these Jewish guys. Because there's an unnatural phenomenon that, phenomenon that happens. Whenever you jail these Christians, something opened the gate for them. I think they've heard it somehow. That these Christians have a way of coming out of prison. And so what this guy did, put him in an inner prison. You can't come out of the inner prison. But they didn't, even, they didn't even remember that even Peter came out from two and the iron gates. And the Bible says, and they fastened their feet with stocks. In verse 22, we're almost there. But at somebody said midnight. My God, which we really did at 12 midnight. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were not complaining. They were praying and singing hymns to God. Paul and Silas were in prison. But they were praying in the inner prison. Now, it was the inner prison. So separate from other prisoners. In fact, in the inner prison, nobody hears you. You're like in a dungeon. This is what, this is what you call a dungeon. The Bible said, but they were singing. And the prisoners were listening to them. 
Listen, the prisoners we are listening to them. They were not just hearing, they were listening to them. Sometimes, when God puts us in prison, it's not because he doesn't love us. Because he wants a prisoner to hear the testimony. You hear me, church? And a lot of times, you and I might be going through our prison moments. But the reason why we go through our prison moment is because God wants a family member of ours that has been held up in prison by the devil to hear the testimony of Christ. You hear me, church? So sometimes, God puts us in prison because he wants the prisoner to hear us. Are you hearing me, church? Not all prison are bad prison. Sometimes God put him in prison to set men in prison out. But if you can praise God in the midst of your pain and your prisoners will listen to the praise, their shackles will be broken. But I love this scripture. But the reason why I love it was because Paul and Silas were praying and they were, and they were listening. Maybe you are in a prison situation right now. And what God is saying right now, praise me through in the prison. Praise him through the prison. And I'm going to do this for the next. I know time is fast spent. I feel prophetic right now. And I want you to open up your mouth for the next one minute and just praise God. Praise God in the midst of your pain. Praise God in the midst of your frustration. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we understand things may not be going well like we want, but God, we thank you in the midst of our pain. We praise your name in the midst of our praising. Lord, we know that we've complained and complained, but right now, we thank you, Lord God, because we know that there is purpose for the pain and there is purpose in this pain and we know that no pain is wasted. Lord, even in our prison moment, we thank you for all the prayers that you've answered. Lord, we know that some things are kept in prison. Lord, we know that some breakthroughs are kept in prison. Lord, we know that, Lord God, that some stuff are kept in prison. Maybe their joy is kept in prison. Maybe their spouses are kept in prison. Maybe their children are kept in prison. Maybe their wombs are kept in prison. Maybe their finances are kept in prison. But Lord, we'll praise you through in the prison because we believe that those things are hearing our praise. I dare you to praise God for the next 60 seconds because something is listening to you. Praise God. Even asking God for a spouse. Maybe it needs to hear you praise God in prison. I feel like God said, praise me for the next 60 seconds. Open up your mouth and praise God. Lord, we thank you because we know that you hear us when we cry. I do not know what is in prison. Maybe your finances has been held. They're about to hear you praise God. Maybe your womb has been held. It's about to hear you praise God. Maybe your children has been heard. It's about to hear you praise God. Come on for the next 40 seconds. Praise God in your prisoner. Because if you praise God, the prisoner will hear. The Bible says they began to hear. I decree and I declare in the name of Jesus, Lord God, will praise you in the midst of our pain. We'll praise you in the midst of our misery. We'll praise you in the midst of our challenges because they can hear. The Bible says that dry bones could hear. We'll prophesy God that these things in prisons here. Lord, we thank you for this prison moment, my God. For if we suffer with you, we will reign with you. We'll praise you, oh God, in the midst of our pain. We'll praise you, oh God, in the midst of our Peter. We'll praise you, oh God, in the midst of our prayer. Prison. No prison. No Pharaoh. No Pharaoh. No Prime Minister. No Prime Minister. No Patriarch. It's a purpose for the pain and purpose for the prison. I don't know why I did what I did, but what I did was prophetic. Something has heard. The Bible says they were listening, and I think that that's your breakthrough you'll be praying for has been listening to your praise in prison. The Bible says, and suddenly, there was a great earthquake. And suddenly, there was a great, 
earthquake. And I feel God on this one. It's just, it's just God. I feel God on this one. I'm ending soon, but God is here. There was a great earthquake, the Bible says. So the foundations of the prison were shaking. Oh God, I feel like every foundation in your life. Because of your praise, your praise will shake foundations. I prophesy that everyone that has opened up your mouth to praise God for this Bible study, that God is going down to the foundation to shake every praise indoors. I decree and I declare that there is a shaking. May your praise cause a shaking. I decree that your praise will shake every foundation of a prison wall. I prophesy a, sh a prison shaking, a foundation, a prison shaking praise in the name of Jesus. The Bible says, and immediately the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loose. Hold on. Not just Paul and Silas. Everyone's chain. I believe that the praise you've just praised is not just a, it's not just a, a, a deliverance for yourself, but everyone that is connected to you by bloodline. Everyone that is bound, everyone that's going through a prison moment, every destiny that has been held in prison. As you praise the Lord, the Lord is not just setting you free, but is setting everyone connected. Hearing this right now, I decree, in the name of the Lord Jesus, the Bible says everyone's chains were loose, and the keeper of the prison awaking from sleep. And seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, threw out his sword, I was about to kill himself. You know the reason why? Because he cannot satisfy the penal term of every prisoner. Any prisoner who escapes, that jailer would have to serve their term. Just imagine they have 30 prisoners or 100 prisoners there. How would you, how would you serve all their terms? They might as well die. Because that's life imprisonment. Now remember, when someone goes to prison, once they finish their term in prison, they are given a certificate of completion called Tetelestai. So Tetelestai that Jesus said on the cross, was, it means it is finished. That certificate of completion means that you finish your term. Now, for the prison door to be open, him supposing that all the prisoners have left. Imagine having 100 prisoners there, and they have like 100 years, or 50 years, or 30 years to serve. That guy would have served it so What's the point leaving? I must well kill myself. The Bible says, But Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do no harm to yourself, for we are all here. Do no harm to yourself, you are all here. Don't kill yourself. He was going to kill himself. This was a soul that was meant to die. Don't kill yourself. Do you notice something? That up to now, Paul has still not won a soul. The first soul that Paul won was a Philippian jailer. Two things to hear. Number one, it was through a woman that Paul came into Europe. Through a woman that Paul came into Europe. You barely find that. Women are given no value in those days. But not just that. A jailer was someone who stays most of the time in jail. A prison warden stays indoors. You're also a prisoner. You're not just being held in chains. What am I trying to say? Two people, the first one was a woman who was not also ostracized. The other one was a jailer who was not a public face, who was always indoors. But it was the first to receive the scripture, to receive the, the gospel in Europe. Why am I saying that? All that time when Paul released the word of the Lord and taught the gospel, it was a public communal space. But this time, it went to the innermost. This speaks of Jesus as well. Going to the innermost, written in scriptures. 
and declaring his victory. We call it kerigma. And what I'm trying to say to you, the gospel can reach the innermost. Paul was kept in the innermost prison. That man also heard the gospel. The gospel can go to the innermost. <laughs> Are you following the church? Paul made sure, or the Lord made sure, that that guy who is in prison in the dungeon received the gospel also. The gospel of Jesus. Sometimes, when God puts us in uncomfortable places, it's because God is using you to facilitate his gospel to the ends of the earth. So wherever you find yourself, you are always a missionary. That guy may not receive the word. That guy is always indoor, taking care of jailers in the inner prison. But guess what? The gospel went to the innermost prison. That's what the Bible says. So sometimes God puts you in prison, not because he doesn't love you, but because through you, he would facilitate the gospel to the outermost part of the earth. <laughs> That's the prison, the outermost part, right? But the Bible says, let's keep reading. The Bible says, we are all here. Verse 29, then he caught for a light. The Bible says, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sars, what must I do to be saved? Hold on one moment. What must I do to be saved? How did he know this is Jesus' work? Sir, he didn't say, sir, how did he come out? And he says, sir, what happened? He says, sir, what must I do to be saved? That's the reason why I think that he might have heard that there were certain Jews or certain people like Paul and his kind who God has a way of breaking open prison doors. So that prison break thing is a jailer, is heard of it from other cities as well. And he knew that they are believers. And when this has happened now, he realized that these are the men that were spoken to, spoken by in, on CNN, CNN and on BBC. Because it's read it in the tabloids and on the papers. That these are the Christian guys who have a way of breaking prison doors. So he realized that, oh, these are the men. So he asked them, who are you? Because he knew who they are. They said to them, what must I do now to be saved? You know the reason why? I've heard about you. How you break prison doors. I've heard about you. Our angels have you breaking doors. And that's why I put you in the innermost prison. But you still came out. Sars, what must I do to follow your own God? What must I do to be saved? You hear me, church? What must I do? So you realize his question was not asking who did it for them. Because he knew who did it for them. He was asking for the condition, the, the prerequisites to this new life. And the Bible said, So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved. You and, your, and all you need to do is believe. All you need to do is believe the work of the cross and you will be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten so that whosoever, whoso, a jailer or a magistrate, believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And he told them that the prerequisites to salvation it's not repentance, it's belief. Repentance is what you do when you are saved. Belief is what you do to be saved. You believe to be saved, you repent because you're saved. Repentance is change of mind. Repentance is the transformation, transformative work 
Belief is a regenerative work. You repent by transforming your mind. You believed by regenerating your spirit. Understand me, church? And that's the reason why you believe to be justified. You repent because you are sanctified. Justification, dikayo, is the freedom from the penalty of sin. And because you believe, you are justified. But now that you are justified, you have to consistently repent to be sanctified. You hear me, church? You know, if you may not like this, my name is Oscar again. You may not like this, but that's the truth of God's word. What did he say to him? Believe you and your households, you'll be saved. He didn't say repent. He says believe. Why? Because you believe to be saved. You metanoia repent. The word repent is to change your mind. It's a mind thing. Metanoia is to change your mind. You repent because you are being saved. So believe is your just is the is so you you believe what was done for you on the cross and you are justified. Whenever you find the word loved in scripture, it speaks of what was done for you on the cross. It's all this past tense. And, and, and Paul tells him, all you need to do is believe and you are saved. So the first step to acknowledging that you are now a born-again believer is not repent, it's believe. You repent later. You repent because you have believed. Because repentance is the work of your soul, a work of your soul. Allowing the Spirit of the Lord to regenerate your so to transform your mind. So you have this word. I need to write this down because you guys will see this. You have this word, you know, believe. 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 B-L-I-E. Oh, sorry. What's wrong with me? This pain is acting on the Okay, let's call it. We have believe. Okay, believe. For God so loved the world, whosoever believes in him, you believe to be saved. And it's the justification. But you repent because you are saved. You hear me, church? You believe and you're born again. You repent because you are born again. So when you hear the word believe, believe what was done on the cross is easy. But that's not all because that's the first stage. Believing means that you're now accepted into the beloved. The belief means that you're now baptized into the family of Christ. That's the baptism of the Spirit into the fellowship of the beloved. But you repent because you are now in the family of the beloved. Believing deals with your spirit. Repentance deals with your mind, your soul. You repent for the transformation of your soul, your mind. Romans 12. You believe John 3.16 because you are saved. It came to his soul, his soul received him no. But as many that believe to them gave him power to become sons of God. We are sons of God because we believe, not because we repent. Are you hearing me, church? And there's all argument about easy believism and lordship salvation. That's another conversation again. But the Bible says that it says, believe you and your household. All you need to do is believe with your heart, not just with your mouth. You believe what was done. All right? But that belief is a spiritual regeneration. Regeneration is always the change of heart, not the repair of heart. It's the change of heart. But your, your, your repent is always the transformation of your soul, or your, of your mind, okay? Let's go back to the scripture again because I want to end this quickly. The Bible says, and then in verse 32, the Bible says, and it took them 
on the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. So this guy washed their stripes. My God. He took them that set them and washed their wounds. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. See, they were baptized now. Now, when they, they were baptized, they, they believed before they were baptized, okay? You don't believe you don't baptize to be saved. You baptize because you are saved. Same thing I was read as sanctification, okay? Bible says, now when he had brought them into his house, he said, so this guy took them to his house. He set food for before them and rejoiced, believing, having believed in God and his house. So his household have come to faith. This guy fed them, he's become a disciple. So the first Philippian disciple was the jailer. I'm almost done. We have just, uh, yes, about uh, six more verses and we are done. Whew! Whew! Let me see the YouTube brethren. I'm not left to YouTube. I'm loving on you still. Okay. Okay. We are very good. Still doing well. Right. The Bible says, remember the jailer has washed their stripes, their wounds, given them food. His family has been baptized. Paul and Silas and maybe a few of them as well. And when it was morning those days, the magistrate sent the officers saying, let those, let those men go. So guess what? This is the part. It looks like the jailer lives in prison. <laughs> Why? Because you see that he gave them food. So it's, it's, like a, it's like a barrack. So I suggest, I think maybe that he's taking them out of prison, wash them, clothe them, and put them back in prison for the next morning. How do I know that? The next morning, the magistrate sent the officers to go, let them go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. Hold on. It meant that after Paul had eaten dinner, he went back to Chin in prison. Why? Because he doesn't want that jailer to serve the time. Follow me, church. It is better, hear me? It is better that they understand that the release of the prisoners was a supernatural act of God and not the negligence of the jailer. Let us sink in. Because if Paul had escaped or left the prison, they would have found this jailer and his family and they would have killed them. So Paul understood, if I run, because I'm free to go, like Peter did, they will kill this guy and his family. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to stay in prison so that the prisoners that left or that escaped would have been for the fact that I was the one who had a spiritual encounter. Are you following me, church? <laughs> That's why Peter, Paul and Silas went to eat, had a nice shower, an amazing spa, and went back in prison. But they went back in prison so that they can save this guy. So this guy will become a jailer who is born again. Oh, Lord. Oh, God. Are you hearing me? So he will be serving in jail. He's born again, but the prisoners have escaped. Because Paul would have to wait in prison to prove to the magistrates that the release of the prisoner was not the negligence of the jailer, but it was justified by the supernatural act of God. Because there's evidence there. This is the evidence. Because when the foundation was shaking, everyone knew that the Bible says, in verse number 36, go in, go on. So they, they, they were going to release him the next day with the jailers, with the prisoner still in prison. The Bible says, say, go in peace. And that's a, but Paul will not go in peace. Paul is a troublemaker too. So what Paul said? Paul would write. Verse 37. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly. 
uncondemned Romans. They did not know Paul was a Roman. <laughs> they have beaten us up on the now. Okay, I've ended this stuff. They have beaten us openly and condemned us and have thrown us in prison. And now, do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. You know the reason why? Because when Paul had spent, in my opinion, and it's just me, I'm a theologian, I think when Paul had had that, that dinner with that jailer, he stood a jailer. Actually, I'm also a Roman citizen. Paul was Jew, Jewish. He was also Roman as well. The Greek guy as well. So that prisoner would have told the guys, listen, Paul is Roman. Because it is every Roman citizen is entitled to trial before they are beaten and put in prison. If you beat a Roman soldier, a Roman citizen without trial, it is a punishable law by death or by imprisonment. Are you following me, church? Do you understand this story? Listen. So I think Paul would have told that jailer during, lunch, during dinner, I am a Roman citizen and you guys beat me. These guys beat me. And the Roman citizen would have told them, listen, the guy is a Roman citizen. And the news has reached the magistrates. And now they are scared because they want to release him privately or secretly. And Paul says, you can't beat us in public and release us privately because against the law. These guys had an issue with their career. Their career was put to check. Why? Because the first thing you do is to ask the people where they're from. If they are Romans, you don't jail them. If they are Romans, you don't beat them. They are entitled towards to trial. But now, Paul is saying in verse number 37, hold on, they've beaten us. They've thrown us in prison. And now they want to release us privately or secretly. That's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying it's not going to work. You beat us in public, If you disrespect us in public, you know, you know some people on, on Facebook, on social media, or, or in real life, especially social media, they will publicly disrespect you and privately apologize. It doesn't work. Let your energy of apology match the energy of disrespect. <laughs> and I'm serious. Because some people will act like the magistrates. And later, when they are rebuking you, when they are insulting you, they act like the magistrates. But when they want to apologize, they act like Nicodemus. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't match. If you're a magistrate in the morning, be a magistrate in the night as well. And I've seen it again and again. Sorry, guys. Call is coming in. I've seen it again and again because people will disrespect you publicly and beat you publicly and dis dis defame your name and defame your character and say stuff about you. They will mess up your name and they want to act like Nicodemus in the night and come, hold oh, up, please. No, no, no. It's not going to work. Let the energy of your disrespect <laughs> match the energy of your... I'm not even joking. I'm not joking. The energy of your disrespect must match. That's what Paul is saying. And this is Bible. Paul is saying that. Paul is saying you cannot beat us publicly and call us name and disrespect us, disrespect us publicly and put us in prison. And now you want to secretly, what? You want to put out, no, 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 no. Let your apology match your disrespect. I think that, that should be a t-shirt, Jackie. Let your apology match your disrespect. Mm. If you disrespect me publicly, you apologize. Don't come, and, don't come and tell me, Apostle, please. No, 
Don't see a post to place in my inbox if it disrespects me on my post. You hear what I said? Don't come and tell me, Apostle, I'm sorry in my inbox if you disrespected me on my post. The same place that you disrespected me, put on the comments what you've done or form a whole post. I refuse. Paul refused. I refuse to take a private apology when you beat your chest publicly and say that I was good for nothing. <laughs> and that's, that, this is scripture. It's a principle. What Paul is doing is a principle. Paul is saying that you, you, you've messed me up and now you want to, you want to secret. I, I don't mind you if you publicly throw me out. But if they publicly throw him out, they will come for them because they're Roman citizen. That's what he said. Look at verse number. He said, no, indeed. Let them come themselves. And, so Paul is saying, call the magistrates. Because the, the, the soldiers, we're about to put them out privately. They just put them out privately. No. They've had news. Paul says, go call them to come themselves. The Bible says, indeed, let them come themselves and get us out. They put us there. So Paul was someone in my goodness. You know what Paul did? Paul made them eat their own poison. You put us in prison. You know, magistrates don't go to prison. Or magistrates don't enter prison. Magistrates will send the jailers to put people in prison. What did Paul do? Paul called the highest ranking magistrates to come to the inner dungeon too. What the gospel will do. The same people who beat them, bow to them. Paul said, you know what? You're not the guys that signed us to be put in prison. Paul summoned the same people who summoned. Are you here in my church? And I believe that today we are summoning the summoner. Ah, mende brakasa. Those things that summoned us and beat us, we are summoning them now to have a taste of what we tasted. The devil and his minions Paul summoned the one who summoned him. And Paul said, you put us in prison, you come to prison to take us out. This is called double portion. Double for the Bible says, and the prisoners told these words to the magistrates. And they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came, where they, ooh, they came and pleaded with them and brought them out. This is scripture. Hear me, this is the Bible, hear me. This is spiritual. Understand the spiritual implication. The same people who put them in... Magistrates are the top guys. They're like the, they're the, they're the highest level within the legal practice. Magistrates don't even go close to prison. It is the, is the, 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 the jailers that, that deal with prisoners. Magistrates don't... They are the, they're almost above the law. But what did Paul do? Paul, who was in prison, was able to summon those who summoned him. Do you know what this means, therefore? And you may not see this in the natural light, but in the spiritual light, hear me. That you have the power to summon what summoned you. You have the power to summon every demonic power, every demonic system, every witch, every warlock, every power of hell, every diviner, every walk of hell, every occult, every evil power, evil practice, every, every altar, generational curse, everything that has summoned you, everything that has messed you up, everything that has put you in prison for years, for months, for weeks, over generations, you have the power to summon them. So you also have the power to lock up, my goodness, to lock every spirit and lock every demon and say to them in the name of Jesus, the Bible says, and Paul called them, and the Bible says, look at the Bible, see what the Bible says, Eddie? The Bible says, Let's look at verse 39. When they came and they what they pleaded with them and brought them out. But before it went there, so the Bible says, they were afraid. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out. 
They came and brought, it was the, I, I just prophesy in the name of Jesus for the last verse. I feel like releasing this word of the Lord. I prophesy in the name of Jesus that you are coming out. The Bible says it was those who put him in prison that brought him out. I decree and I declare that tonight, listen, every demon that tied you, they would by themselves un everything that tied you the same thing that put you in prison by themselves they will unlock Amanda they will uncuff you will <laughs> Paul in prison was summoning magistrate have you heard of that before that you are in prison you've had dinner you're in prison and you are summoning magistrates read with revelation Paul was in prison and said come you come and those who tied him, I decree in the name of Jesus, everything that had summoned you, <laughs> this is going to be a divine replacement. Ha! <laughs> we will come from they say it's called return to sender, right? But the Bible says that Paul summoned magistrates. That should be a summon. Summon magistrate. Summon the summoner. Summon the summoner. They came by themselves and they released. And they released. So the Bible says. But what did they say? And asked them to depart from the city. So they went out of prison. And entered who again? The house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren. They encouraged them and departed. Lydia's house. Was the apostolic camp. Of the apostle Paul. And that is the end. Of chapter number 16. It is a long read. And we were able to do one video, maybe two, but a longer one, and it has stayed. Listen, it's an amazing, but I love the fact that you can see the spiritual implication as well as the physical as well. We can apply that in prayers. But I want to hear from you, all of you. Has this teaching blessed you today? Have, did, have you heard of something you never heard before? Jerusalem Council was 52 AD and that was 20 years after the ascension of Jesus and how the Judaizers had come. Look at Galatians chapter number 2 and they've come with another doctrine. We call them the heresies which means another sect which were teaching justification by works and law as well. Paul and Barnabas going all the way to Jerusalem Council, Peter speaking, and then James speaking. Peter spoke from a place of Acts chapter number 10, and then James spoke from a place of Amos chapter number 9, 11, and 12, and then they went back again and encouraged their brethren, and they had a guy by the name of Basabas and Silas together, and they preached the gospel because of that. We find that Paul and Barnabas separated because of the young man by the name of John Mark. We entered to chapter number 16, and we find the old gospel coming down to Antioch, and they went down to to the Cilician region and then they went to were trying to go to the uh, uh, to Asia Minor but got blocked the door until they came to uh, a Macedonian call when there was a uh, we believe it was Luke who had the Macedonian call and some people think it's Luke some people think it's the prisoner the jailer but I don't think it's the jailer because if it was the jailer for some reason it could be the jailer it would not it, it could be the jailer there, there might be justification but the word we speaks of the writer in the picture we don't know who did the Macedonian call but we see the scripture we looked at the, the spirit of divination from Apollo who was the uh, uh, twin brother of uh, Artemis the father Zeus and how he had you know uh, over, overcome the, the the serpentine creature and then made a Pythia the office of the high priestess who would divine uh, for him and, and then how uh, Paul had to uh, cast out the spirit was put in prison praise the Lord prisons were set free yes but I believe that this has blessed everybody alright <laughs> uh, 
Yes, so when we deal with the spirit of the python, we have to go into some dimensions of python. So people, so people know it as the python spirit, which is the spirit of divination, but they don't understand that was the region as well, but it's the Greek mythology of the python, okay? Because we know what Pythia, she was a priestess. So she served the uh, god Apollo, all right? Um, and she was the oracle of um, Apollo at Delphi, that makes sense. So... Just so, so, and, and, and I spent the time to do that just to show you that she was not a little innocent damsel. She was actually an official high priestess for that um, deity. And obviously, she's actually someone who's actually in divination. She's not, she, she, she's not mistaken. She's actually a priestess. She prophesied on behalf of Apollo. Okay? So that you know that. All right, then, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, easy believism versus lordship salvation. Right, people like John MacArthur, you know, he believes in easy believism. People like Charles Ryrie, sorry, people like MacArthur believe in lordship salvation, believe in what repentance to be saved. But people like you know Charles Ryrie believe in you know you believe to be saved. Okay, so John MacArthur believes in repent to be saved, but other fundamental you know conservative theologians also he's also conservative as well, but it's all thing. Um, called um, Easy Believing. So it's Easy Believism and let me write that down and Lordship Salvation. So you can do your own study. Easy Believism and Lordship Salvation. Okay. Easy Believism and Lordship Salvation. Chapter number one to chapter number seven will deal with the ministry of the apostles in Jerusalem. All right? We're done with that. Chapter number seven, it ended with Stephen. All right? When he was stoned to death. Chapter number eight to chapter number 12 will deal with Samaria and Judea. So chapter number seven is Jerusalem. Chapter number eight to 12 will deal with the ministry of Judea and Samaria. And in Samaria, you realize that that was the ministry of Philip. And then from chapter number 9 to the end, we'll deal with the outermost part of the earth. Actually, chapter number 7 will deal with the, gen the, the Jewish nation. Chapter number um, 8 to 12 will deal with the Samaritans. And then chapter number 9 and the end will deal with the Gentiles. Amen. So three types of people. 1 to 7, the Jewish people, 8 to 12, the Samaritans, the half-Jews, and then 12 to 13 to the end of the book of Acts, we'll deal with the Gentile word. So we are in chapter number 10 today, so we are still dealing with the what? The Samarians and the Judeans. You, you need to realize what the word Judea means. The word Judea is the Greek name for the Hebrew word Judah. So what you find in the Old Testament is Judah. But in the New Testament, it became Judea. Amen. So that was J-U-D-E-A. was formerly J-U-D-A-H. So Judah was part of the southern kingdom. So back in the day, there were two kingdoms. You had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom were taken by the Assyrians. And the southern kingdom were by the Babylonians. The northern kingdom, what they did is that they took people. And one of the things they do, they make you lose your identity by intermarriage. When they came back, they became what you call Samaritans or Samarians. 
It's called the Northern Kingdom. Sometimes called the um, the sometimes called, called Israel. Why the Southern Kingdom was taken by the Babylonians and then the Persians and then the Greeks and then the Rome. The dream. Of, if you've studied Nebuchadnezzar, right? The dream. The head of gold represents Babylon. The chest of silver represents Persia. The belly of bronze represents Greece, and then the thighs and the legs represent Rome. Have you read Daniel chapter number two? Oh my God. This was the statue. Don't laugh. The head represents what? Gold. The chest and the ham. The chest, two ham and one chest. So this part here, uh, let me, this, this part here represents uh, silver. The belly represents uh, bronze. And there, yeah, it represents what? Iron. Now, I don't want to go into this study today because it's a lot. It's a lot. The head of gold represents Babylon. So Babylon was the first kingdom that conquered Israel. Now, if you look at the materials, from the top to the bottom, it reduces in quality. See that? Gold, silver, bronze, iron. But from the down to the top represents strength. What am I trying to say? If you look at it from down to the, from there to there, the quality is reduced. All right? But at the same time, you find the strength here. So iron is better than just, you know what I'm trying to say? Like better, for lack of better words, yeah. So if you look at the gold, the gold is Babylon. But if you come down, Babylon was conquered by Persia and Medes. So on one hand is Persia, P-E-R-S-I-A and M-E-D-E-S. One part Persia, one part Medes. They conquered Babylon. Now, 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 just for the sake of your level of study, Babylon was not conquered. Babylon was taken because you find the mystery of Babylon later in Revelation. It was a guy called Ugbaru who came through the river Tigris, came underground and overtook Babylon. When the king at the time was enjoying himself with the utensils of God and the handwriting was on the wall, take a minute with a scene. This day the kingdom shall be taken, not conquered. Because in the days to come, you're going to see the rise of, of Babylon again. However, Babylon was later taken by the Persians, and the Persians were later taken by the bronze, which is Greece. There was a man called Alexander the Great, who was about to die at about 29, 30 years old, and called four of his generals, Thelony, Lysimachus, Seleucus, and Cassander. Four guys he gave the four empires, the four part of his dynasty, and they were the, 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 the Greek empire. But the Greek Empire was overcome also by the Romans. And that's why you have the imperialist system. The Romans overcame them. But one of the things you must realize, when you read history, many history books will not tell you there were two types of Romans. Now, if you look at the Bible in, in Daniel chapter number 2, it had a leg of iron and the fingernails also mixed with clay and iron. Now, I want to make something very, very important, very, very clear. If you have your Bibles, quick, please. Daniel chapter number 2. I want to read something for you quickly. Daniel chapter number 2. Uh, one second. I don't know I'm taking my time to do this thing today. Daniel chapter number 2. I'll read um, 
One second. One moment. Let me get a quick word here. Amen. Okay, it's did a Bible study. All right, quickly. I want to read down the chapter. Something very important you need to hear. I believe that the world is becoming very, very digitalized. But the digital space was prophesied that not everyone will hear what I want to say. And not every leader. And I think, I, I, just listen, down in chapter number two, I'll read verses number 40. Down in chapter number two, I'll read verse number 40. Before I read 43, I'll read verse 40. Verse 42. Now listen. The Bible says, and as the toes of the feet, you are partly, hear me? You are partly iron and partly what? Partly clay. Listen. Partly iron the feet and partly clay. So the kingdom shall be partly strong iron and partly fragile clay. Are we following? 33. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay. Follow me again. I should be there. As you see iron mixed with ceramic clay. They will mingle with the seed of men. But they will not add it to one another. They will mingle. Whatever will mingle with the seed of men will not be men. There's a whole other dimension, a whole other story of biosynthesis that you're probably going to teach another time. Whatever will mingle with the seed of men would not be the seed of men. In the coming days, you will see artificial reproduction. You will see synthetic biosis very soon. Now, when the Bible is saying what Daniel is saying, that this is going to come when this thing that is not the seed of men will mingle with the seed of men. Now, Daniel was giving us the age to come. Artificial intelligence, robotics. What he's saying that the age that we live right now, there is coming another kind of being that is not human, but will mingle with humans. Are you hearing? So don't be surprised when you see the robots coming to serve you dinner. Don't be surprised when you find that we have machines now doing surgeries. Don't be surprised when we see some artificial stuff going on among the seed of men. What is <laughs> Who just did that? <laughs> there will be, in a very midst, things that are not the seed of men, but they will mix with the seed of men. You might start seeing AI pastoring the church. It's already happening. It happened in Germany. Yeah. So that's not for a pastor. You just plug that. They put it where you call the, I don't know what, um, what you type in the box, you know. Yeah, that's, that's the name for the, the command. Some, the, the, I don't know the name. Yeah. It, it does what it wanted to do. So we are actually in uh, an, an, an interesting age. So watch out. Myself and my wife went to um, Singapore, and this robot came to give me food. I said, oh, my, oh the, Lord, the blood is against you. <laughs> <laughs> this machine. And apparently, even with Uber as well, apparently there's this Uber 
um, free delivery with machines. So um, we are, Bible says, in the last day, the knowledge of men shall increase. So we are in the times. Amen. Amen. But that word Judah is actually from the southern kingdom. So the name was changed from Judah to Judea, which is a Greek name. Judea surrounds Jerusalem. And the reason why, because you will see in a moment what's going to happen in a moment. In chapter number 8, chapter number 9, and chapter number 10, you find something profound. Because I don't want to take your time. Quickly, let's turn our Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter number 10. I've got 48 minutes to run through this. I'll, I'll try to be okay, because chapter number 11 is quite easy. Are you there, chapter number 10? Acts is in the New Testament, church. Lord, we pray that the entrance of your word gives light and understanding to the simple in Jesus' name. The Bible says, there was a certain man in, what's that word there, somebody? Okay, it's not, it's called Caesarea, okay? It's not Caesar, it says Caesarea. Like what you call Caesar, it's not Caesar, it's called Caesar. Okay, it's K-A-I. It's not Caesar, it's Kaiser. Just to help you. I'm not sure I have, um, um, uh, um, yeah, I would have played it on for you, for you guys to hear the, let me see if I can play it. Because you're not, we're, not, we're not doing this in class today. Uh, there was a certain man, just so that you know, because you're a rookie. I don't know if I can play this thing here. Uh, where's this microphone here? Or strong G something. If it doesn't play, it's okay. No internet, sorry. But it's called Caesarea, all right? So um, we call it Caesar. It's called Caesar. Okay, play somebody then. What does it say? Yeah, want to hear it? <laughs> oh Lord. So that's that's what we call Caesarea. So that C is pronounced as K. Was that Caesar? Was that Caesar? You played out. Was that Caesar? You played out. It's pronounced K. Sorry. It's a K. I know. So just just for you to know, by the way, so it's called Caesar. What you call Caesar is not. It's called Caesar. All right. The Bible says there was a certain man in that place. Yes, called. He didn't say Cornelius. Cornelius. <laughs> a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. Now the first thing you need to realize, the word centurion is a ruler over a hundred. I give, I give you the word, right? It should be, I, I sent you the word. Centurion. A ruler over a hundred. Just so you know, that's the word. Ekatotakantis, that's what we mean. Ekaton ta kis. Ekaton is 10 or 100. Then ahe 
from the word hachon, it means first. You know the Bible says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, against principalities, which means first, or ruler. That word, K-H-E-K-A-T-O-N, ekaton is a hundred. Then A-R-C-H-E is a participle of the word ache, achon, which means ruler. So the word ekatontahes means ruler of a hundred. All right? So this guy was a ruler of a hundred soldiers. And it's very important because that's something I'm going to show you later. The Bible says he was the ruler of a hundred soldiers. His name was called Cornelius. Who was called the Italian regiment? In verse number two, a devout man and one who feared God and his household. Now the first thing you must realize, the emphasis is shifted from Jerusalem slowly. Coming down to Samaria and Judea. And they would shift into the outermost part of the earth. Okay? The Bible says, a devout man who feared God with his household. He wasn't a Jew, but he feared God. All right? Are you following church? Feared God with his household and prayed always. Number one, the Bible says, he was a devout man. Number two, he feared God. Number three, and gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. I don't have the time to explain the word now. The word alms, which means benevolent giving, is the same thing as memorial. You read in moments. The Bible says, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw. Now, how do you calculate the ninth hour of the day? When, when the Bible says the fifth hour, the seventh hour, the ninth hour, always had a six. So when the Bible says the ninth hour, you're going to say six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, one, two, three. Does that make sense? So that's 3 p.m. Are you hearing? So whenever you hear whatever hour of the day, always add a six to it. So the ninth hour will be six, it will be three p.m. The Bible says at about three p.m., the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly. Somebody say clearly. The reason why I'm gonna pray for two kinds of people today. He saw clearly. That word clearly in the Greek is the word phaneros. P-H-A-N-E-R-O-S. And what this means. It means he saw consciously. Bible said, he, about the night of the day, he saw clearly in the vision. It was a vision, but it was a clear vision. There were two types of vision. What you call open vision and a closed vision. What he saw was called an open vision because he was conscious of the things around him. So the Bible says clearly. Some translation tells you evidently. Some tells you publicly. Are you hearing, church? So he saw a vision, but it wasn't a vision that he was lost in space. So there's the kind of vision that you can see in the realms of the spirit, but stay conscious of your environment. Are you hearing? It's not every day zone out. So the Bible said that he saw clearly. Somebody say clearly. It was a clear vision. What does the clear vision mean? It was a vision that even though the Lord showed him, he was conscious of people around him. So there's a kind of vision that God can show you. You don't have to be spooky. You can be speaking to someone and God is speaking to you at the same time. You are conscious of your environment. He wasn't lost in space. He hasn't lost his mind. He hasn't traveled to some dimension. He was conscious of those around him, but he was able to see. And that's why you don't have to squint to see. Amen. It was, Bible said, it was a clear vision that an angel of the Lord coming to him saying, Cornelius. So it was a vision he saw, and in the vision he saw an angel. Now, this was not in the physical. 
It was in the spirit. He saw the angel in the spirit, but he was conscious of his physical space. Are you following church? This is kind of guy who knows when the pastor says sit down. Even though he's having a vision, he's going to sit down. Not the one I was shouting, hallelujah, behind, shouting and disturbing the church. Because they feel that they are lost in space. What am I trying to say? In this kind of vision, you are conscious of those around you. You're not lost in space. You're not being spooky. You know when to shush and when to say. You can control this type. Amen, church. And the Bible says, in this vision, an angel came to him saying, and I believe that a lot of you in this place might have had an angelic encounter. But you have rebuked the angel. I will show you in a moment. The Bible said in verse number 3, it was an angel who came to Cornelius saying, Cornelius. And when he had observed, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? The first thing that Cornelius did was to observe. Why did he observe? You know in a moment, because this angel did not come with wings. So this angel came as a man, as you will see in a moment. And the first thing that Cornelius did was to observe, was to find out who is this thing. And, and, and that's why prophetic people hear me. Just because something comes from the outer space, it doesn't make it divine. Be careful how you pay your obeisance to things outside of your knowledge of words of revelation. Are you hearing, church? Just because you prayed, your eyes were closed and you saw some white thing, it doesn't make it an angel. Because the Bible says in Corinthians that these things called angels disguise themselves as angels of light. So when you're praying and you're seeing some light, it doesn't mean God. Apostle, the Lord spoke to me, it came like light, the devil comes as light. And that's why you have to what? You have to observe. That word is called diacrisis in the Greek, which means to discern. It's part of the, the semantic ranges. So when the Lord exposes you to some dimensions in the spirit, the first thing you want to do is observe. Are you hearing church? Just because it sounds like God doesn't make it God. Do you know the devil quotes scriptures also? So be very careful what you capture outside the dimensionality of time. Because one of the things the devil will do, he will come and deceive you, making you feel like he's God. So the Bible says, let's be careful. For even the devil and his minions disguise themselves as angels of light. So just because you dreamt or you are praying and you saw some white thing doesn't make it God. The first thing you want to do before you submit yourself to that thing is to observe. Many people have entered into demonic possession because they opened up their spirit before they observed. Worship is that one of the times in, the, in, in your relationship with God that you can be demon possessed. Because in what watch music is the only force on the earth that has the ability to penetrate your soul without your consent. So be very careful in during worship when you open up your spirit. Be very careful of what you embrace outside the dimensions of time. The first thing you want to do when God exposes you to that dimension is to somebody say observe. You must observe to make sure this is of God. Any spirit that doesn't testify that Jesus is the Son of God or his Lord is a cost. Amen. So in your most vulnerable time in worship, be careful what you engage. Because you might enter willing to worship God, but come at demon-possessed. Are you hearing church? Protect, so to your number, protect your space. So the Bible said the first thing that Cornelius did was to observe. The Bible said, 
So we said to him, your prayers and your and your give me those two words for arms. The word for arms in a moment. Your prayers and your arms have come up a memorial before God. Give me that stuff I gave you. All right. Arms. Say the word. Helemo Sune. That's what it means in the Greek. Helemo Sune. Like what is too easy there with the bar there. Elimo Sune. That's what it means. Now, that's the word Elimo Sune. The most important word is the word Sune. Now, give me the word for memorial. Elimo Sune. The other word I gave you for memorial in a moment. I gave you two words. Minemo Sunan. Now, if you look at the word, no, I don't want to drive you into too much Greek. These two words practically have the same roots. Are you following church? What this means, the word memorial is the Greek word record. To record. Are you following church? This word and the word arms have the same roots in the Greek. Which means, hear me church, that every time you give God is a record. Every time you give an offering, God doesn't see money. It's his record. The Bible says, your prayer and your hands have come up before God, a memorial. What he's saying, that every time you give God an offering, give God money, or give God, or, or help with someone, or give, it goes to heaven before God. So every Sunday when we come together to give, or you give a brother, or you give for kingdom work, God doesn't receive your, 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 your legal tender, your money. He receives it as a record. Are you hearing me? Because someday, he's going to open up that book. And will show you your record. So God did not just receive his prayers. God received his harm. Two things are so in scripture now. That God received both his prayer and his giving. Are you hearing church? What does this mean? That your giving is as important as your prayers. Amen. You cannot substitute one for the other. Your giving is as important as your prayers. The problem with the church, I don't want to spend time here. You know me, I won't spend time here. People pray big, but pay small. We can spend hours to pray. You can pray. Generational cost, you pray. As you, you know how to pray fire prakapa. You've been praying since. The church knows how to be charismatic when it comes to praying. But when it comes to giving, they become melancholic. The church is very extroverted in prayers. But when it comes to giving, we become introverts. Yeah. Actually, let me even make it even, I don't want to make it messy up because that word in the Greek and is the word kai. When kai carries two objects, it means the same thing. Anyway. The Bible says, your prayers and your hands have come before God a memorial. Now, send men to Joppa. Remember the last time we read the scriptures where Peter was at Joppa. Send men to Joppa, the Bible says, and send for Simon, whose surname is? is Peter. Now, this is called the word of knowledge, by the way. So, in your vision, 
you can have the word of knowledge. What is the word of knowledge? The word of knowledge is an information you gain by revelation. Not information you gain by information. The word of knowledge is what the Lord tells you outside of what man has said. But this was a vision, but every word was spot on. Are you following church? All right. Praise someone. We'll pray for you today. Whose son name is Peter? He is lodging with Simon. A what? A what? Now hear me. You might read the scripture. Do you have your Bibles, guys? You might read the scripture and ask yourself, but what, why, why, why is Luke writing this? Luke mentioned two Simons in the same house. But what the word of knowledge does, the word of knowledge curses or makes you distinguish which of the Simons. So there was a Simon Peter and there was a Simon the Tanner. I have been at conferences before what I call it, for instance, I hear a Simon and five Simons come out. And in order for me to distinguish the Simon I'm talking about, sometimes God gives the surname. The reason why these men are going to Joppa and for the first time they're going to a, a place and there were two men in the house. And if God had not given them the surname, the people would have been asking, which of the Simons? So the purpose of the word of knowledge is to cause a distinct attention to what God is doing. So whenever God calls you out by name or God gives you the word of the Lord, it's because God has a distinct message. The difference between prophecy and the word of knowledge to someone, prophecy a lot of time you can tap into it. For instance, if I'm prophesying to Georgia, everyone here that have their faith activated, as their faith activated, can touch that dimension of prophecy. Are you hearing? But word of knowledge is directly to one person. There's no tapping. So if I call someone by name, it's their word. You cannot tap from that because it's a best book word. It's a word for them. However, the word of knowledge is open. That's the reason why, sorry, prophecy is open. That's the reason why when Saul, looking for his father's donkey, saw the prophets prophesying, he began to also prophesy. Because what prophecy does, it charges the atmosphere that anyone under that space can receive from that atmosphere. For instance, if I'm giving a prophetic word, all you need to do is to activate your faith. It works for you. Because one is, one is a word. prophecy is not respecter of persons. Word of knowledge is. Prophecy when spoken. Anyone in that place looking for them. For instance, if I'm praying for, I'm praying for Pastor Trevor, I'm saying I'm, I'm speaking financial wealth. Say amen, babe. Good. <laughs> if, if, I say, if I'm speaking financial blessings to her, and someone hears it from there, you can tap into that prophecy. Why? Because as I spoke to her, an atmosphere was created. And you can tap into that dimension. But if I hear the word of the Lord as per word of knowledge for her, you cannot tap. So word of knowledge is for people directly. Why prophecy is for the atmosphere. So the Bible says, go to this guy. It's living with Simon the Tanner. Now, if you look very closely, Simon... Peter is beginning to draw out, draw away from the, uh, the Jewish practices. Who is a tanner? A tanner is someone who walks with dead animals. Are you here in church? And that's against the Jewish culture. You cannot be a Jew and deal with, with the dead animals. Actually, people that are tanners live outside of Judea. Because you're dealing with dead things. So for Peter to lodge with this guy, Peter's been to say, hmm, 
I'm beginning to, you know, I don't care about this Jewish practice anymore like that. But the Bible says, uh, Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea, he will tell you what you must do. Now, the angel did not tell Cornelius what Cornelius must do. But he's going to tell Peter what Peter would do. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier. He called two household servants and a devout soldier. Three of them all together. And the Bible says, among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. Let me paraphrase this for you or explain this for you. The man by the name of Cornelius was praying, but in a moment you realize he was not just praying, he was fasting also. He was praying and then had an angelic encounter. Let me help you because I'm going to, I may not have the time. One of the ways that you can activate, and this sounds very unchurchy, one of the ways that you can activate angelic encounters is a consistent fasting life. Are you hearing me, church? A consistent fasting life. In the scriptures, a lot of times when fasting was done by people, always God would send them messages through angels. So he was fasting and waiting on the Lord, and then an angel appeared and said to him, send men to Joppa, for I've put a word in Simon Peter's mouth. Invite Simon Peter to your ends, and he will explain to you. This guy came out of the vision, called, th called three people, two of his household guys and one of the soldiers, and said to them, ABC, an angel appeared to me, go to Simon's house and fetch Simon. All right? Then in verse number nine, the next day, as they went on the journey and drew near the city, Peter went on the housetop to pray, follow me church, about the sixth hour. Now, if you hear the word sixth hour, what time is that? Say it again. Noon. Twelve, that's good church. Twelve noon. One was 3 p.m., one was 12 noon. Now, hear me church, hear me, hear me, hear me. I know I'm going to sound funny, hear me. The church, we've had a way of projecting God working at certain times. Don't get me wrong, I believe in watches. But watches is not God's agenda. Watches is man's study of demonic agendas. Some people believe that God only hears you 12, 6, 3, 9, and they do watches and print on the first watch and the second watch. These things are man's innovation. God hears you before you pray. Before you set up your heart to pray, God has heard you already. There were people who believed that God can only hear you during the watches. The first watch, the second watch, the third watch, the fourth. And, and these are man's innovations. Why? Because they have understudied satanology and demonology. Now, when people pray those prayers, now hear me, this is the part that blow your mind. When people pray those prayers, it's because they have understudied demonic timelines when demons operate. But the church do not just pray when demons operate. We pray without ceasing. So the watch for the believer should not be 6, 8, 12. It should be pray without ceasing. Are you hearing me, church? Because the reason why there are people who will wake up at 6 and at 12 and at 3 and they pray at these watches and say stuff like, well, we have to be awake during these watches. This is not God's program for man. 
God's program for man is to pray in season and out of season and without season. Let me put it there. God pray, pray in S-E-A-S-O-N in season, out of season and without season. Are you hearing church? Why am I saying that? Is it okay to wake up at 12 to pray? Yes. Six? Yes. Three? Yes. But don't forget to wake up at two. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Because your 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 watch prayer is no more potent than your prayer with that season. Are you hearing me, church? Are you hearing me, church? African people are getting upset now. Because that's what you've been taught. That demons work as and, and, and what you don't understand, and, and this is the narrative. This is the problem. I'm going to do it one minute. Well, demons work at certain times, but at midnight, you're 12 o'clock. That's the problem with that. Because your 12 o'clock is someone else's 2 o'clock. Because while it's 12 o'clock for you, it might be 3 p.m. in another country. There is no universal timeline. So how come a demon come? Let's, let's read the Bible. Are, are you hearing me, church? What am I trying to say? Pray always. The watch prayer is no more potent than your prayer every single second. Say you about pray. When Jesus went to pray, hardly did you ever find that he gave a timeline. He prayed at night. He prayed in the morning. He prayed in the afternoon. Amen. Okay, amen is more. You want to cast, you always want to bring down fire. Okay. Bible said the sixth hour, which was 12 p.m. He became, now hear me, this is the part, you, want, you see the difference. He became very hungry. And wanted to eat. There's a difference. You will see in a moment that Cornelius was not looking forward to eat. He was fasting. But Peter was not fasting. The Bible says, but why they made the food ready? He fell into a trance. T-R-A-N-C-E. What is a trance? A trance is also a type of vision but closed. The word trans in the Greek is the word ecstasies. Okay. Yeah, me. The first guy that had a vision was Cornelius, right? The vision was open, which means it was conscious. Are you following church? The next guy that had the trance or vision was Peter. But this vision was closed. This word trans, ecstasies mean that you have been transported outside of your consciousness. This is the type of vision that you have no clue what's going on around you. Are you hearing church? Your carnal conscious nature, uh, nature is shut down. And all you see is that you are in another dimension. Are you following me church? It's called a closed vision. Because you are, the outside world is shut down. Exorcist. Are you following me? So this guy, Peter, was not in an open vision. His world was shut down. And this is the kind of vision for a lot of people also. That when God called into this dimension. After five minutes, you're wondering, what? Did I just, oh, I'm still here. Oh, I'm still here. In your mind, you thought you had continued. In your mind, you've prayed and we finished church and you're still there. 
How long, how long was how, how, how long have I been here for? Oh, you've been here for like 25 minutes. It's called a trance. So a trance will pull you out of consciousness and bring you to the dimensions of God. Amen. That you're not conscious of time or people or places. This is the type of vision that people call semi-dead. And a lot of people, I want to say it now very loosely, a lot of people in the other white garment churches, this is the type that they have and they feel like they are half dead. Sometimes unconscious for days. Are you following me, church? Are you following me, church? But the question I ask them often is that who invited you to this dimension, God or an angel? Anyway. So the word ecstasy or the word trance here means ecstasy, which means you know, to shut down. It means to drop. That's what it means in the Greek, to drop. To drop. And this is the kind of vision that your outside world was shut. Now, two types of vision. In Cornelius' vision, the world was exposed. He was open. He knew what was going on. But in Peter, he had no clue what was going on. Are you following church? Are you following church? So this is a type of vision. So there are people in this church that have both open and closed. An open vision is a vision that I'm talking to you right now and I know what's going on. For instance, I know what's going on right now. And I see a key, and I see a key behind that lady just before Sister Hazel. Or that person there. I'm not sure. The one with the stripe red. Yes. I'm not sure. And I see a key behind you. But I'm talking and I'm seeing a key. But I've been strong because I'm seeing a key trying to open like an old chest. You know, but I'm talking to the church. It's called an open vision. A lot of times we call it the word of knowledge. I'm conscious, I'm preaching, I'm teaching, but I can see. There were other times I have to like zone out for a couple of minutes in order to see. Does that make sense? So you don't have to squint always to close your eyes. God can show you things while you're still there. Amen. And please stop zoning off as well. Amen. The Bible says it, it became very hungry and, and the Bible said there was a trance. And he saw heaven open. Hear me church? He saw heaven open. So he was completely zoned out of the earth. He saw heaven open, the Bible says, and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. That's interesting. Everything about Peter was shut down. All he saw was heaven open and there was this sheet of stuff coming down. The Bible says it was a lot of stuff. And there were white, the Bible says in it were all kinds of platter. Those are like ribs, is there. Wings is there. You know, medium rare is there. All types. Even snake is there. You know. But God offered this guy gacho. So the Bible says, in it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth. Wild beasts, creeping things, the birds of the air. That's chicken wings. The birds of the air. <laughs> and the voice came and said to him, Peter, kill and eat. This is Miss Grill. I don't know about you. I like Miss Grill. I love it a lot. I love it well. Now you have Tozo. You have Wings. You have um, um, Porks. Pork. Different food there. But see what Peter said in verse number 14. The Lord said to Peter, kill and that's a problem because that's against the dietary laws of the Jews. The Lord said, eat shrimp. I want to eat shrimp. Eat pork. I want to eat pork. Um, what's the... Um, uh, uh, pr eat prawns. Prawns. I want eat prawns. Lobster. Many of you are not eating lobster. Okay. <laughs> God said kill and eat. 
I'm a Bible student. So whatever has four feet, I'm killing and I'm eating. I'm not a vegetarian. God bless. He didn't say apple. He didn't say mango. He didn't say orange. He didn't say grape. He didn't say banana. He said four-footed animals. Kill and Yeah. I love me some platter. <laughs> Amen. I, I, I want to look for someone's trouble here. He didn't even say fish, but let's leave that for another day. <laughs> oh, God. So, God... <laughs> But, God, but Peter said, see what Peter said to God? Now, that's a problem. Not so, Lord. Not so, Lord. The word Lord is the word despotes or curious, which means sovereign one, the, the one that cannot be denied. But Peter says, not so, the one that cannot be denied. <laughs> Peter is a strange dude. <laughs> Peter said to God, not so. And called him Lord. You know, there, there are a few people I'm going to meet in scripture. The first one is Eve. When we get to heaven, I'm going to ask her one question. <laughs> then I'll ask Adam one question. Then I'll ask Peter one question. Like, bro, why are you always missing it? Like, <laughs> you know, and, and, and you know, that in, uh, I'll speak to Adam. In Nigeria, that's what you call woman rapper. Let's leave that for another day. The Bible says, oh, that's coming up there. I don't like that. Okay. The Bible says, and Peter says, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean in my life. It's, it's, it's self-righteous. Not so, Lord. I have never mingled amongst unbelievers. The Peter was putting his righteousness before God. He's actually telling God, I'm more righteous than you think I am. Imagine. Not so, Lord. The Bible says, and the voice came to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. What God, and I think that's the message for everyone here. Who God has called, you cannot belittle. And I think also, you need to realize this as believers as well, and speak to yourselves as well. That because you are cold, you're not common. Let us stop commonizing brethren. You trivialize yourself too much. Just because you know my past doesn't mean you know my future. I am, see, whatever you commonize, you have no value for. And even in the church, let's respect our royalties. Ah. Let's respect our crowns. Are you hearing me, church? Everyone by your side, a man or woman, is a queen or a king. Respect their crowns. It is an insult against the majesty of heaven that you look down on whom God has called. I don't care if you drive a Bentley and they don't have a car. What God has cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, you cannot call common. That common, that common musician, that, 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 that common, you, what God has cleansed. Say to yourself, I'm not common. Say, I'm uncommon. So the Bible says, what God has cleansed, who God has cleansed. There is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. I don't know why people steal my past. I don't, I don't get it why you're stealing my past. I have a full future ahead of me. And when people, see when people cannot correct where God is taking you to, they remind you where you've been. 
Well, tell them you died long ago. I'm not a dog. I don't go back to my vomit. So when the devil reminds you of your past, show him your future. Amen. So who God has cleansed, let no man call. Come on. Say, I'm uncommon. Now, Peter is so stubborn that this didn't happen three times. The Bible says this was done three times and the object was taken up. 17, I'll rush this quickly. Now, while Peter wandered within himself, again, now remember, the first one who wandered was Cornelius. The next one who wandered was Peter. Whenever you have an angelic encounter, always descend. Always wonder, what is this thing? Are you here in church? What is this thing? Because the quality of prophecy is not, the pre- it's not its precision, but the source. Magicians also give true prophecies. There, there were three types of, you're not my class, let me just, there were three types of prophets, not two. There was a false prophet, there was a true prophet, and there was a bad prophet. A bad prophet is not a false prophet. A bad prophet is the true prophet that is not trained. Are you hearing me? A false prophet has a false spirit, but can have a true message. Are you hearing, church? A true prophet has a true spirit, but can miss it sometimes. So the quality of a prophet is not its precision, but its source. Where did you get that message from? And let me make it very clear again. You can be a true prophet and miss it sometimes. I wish I had the time to explain that. Because a lot of time, the message could have filtered through the instrumentality of your soul. And now, instead of you to say what God is saying, you say what you feel like the people have to hear. In prophecy, there is no coincidence. Is it 100% or it's not true? Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll spend one day to talk about prophecy. Are you here in church? So the Bible said, Peter wondered within himself what this vision, see what it's it called? It, it called the vision here. It called it trance before, but it called it what vision here. Are you seeing that? So it was a vision. So trance is the type of vision that is closed. What this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And when they called and asked whether Simon whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise. Therefore, go then and go with them. Doubting what? Doubt nothing. I like that. And this is the part that makes makes true prophet have false encounters. Are you hearing church? The reason why the Bible says that's nothing was because Peter was doubting already. So it's possible to have a true vision but doubt. And because you've doubted, you deliver your message wrongly. Are you hearing me, church? Let me tell you how I see. And I've said it before. I only see, not because I'm gifted. No, I can be gifted and get it wrong. The reason why I can call out names of people and function within dimensional prophecy is because I don't doubt when he speaks. When God tells me stop, you think the devil don't speak to me too? At the same time, I'm hearing God, I'm hearing the devil too. 
But why do I have to say what God said? Because I don't doubt what he said. If God has said it, it must be true. Are you hearing church? Bible says, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, yes, I am he who you seek. For what reason have you come? Now this is interesting. Peter was asking them, why have you come? They had no clue why they had come. All they heard from their master, Cornelius, was go call Peter. They didn't have any contents. Whenever God sends you on a mission, it makes provision. You may not have a full picture what the assignment is. But the only thing that activates the fullness is your faith. If you take a step, God gives you the entire picture. Sometimes when God sends you on an errand, it gives you a pixel. But if you are faithful to obey the one who sent you, as you step, it gives you the full picture. Do you realize that when Jesus was about to heal the ten lepers, he didn't heal them. You know Jesus never healed the ten lepers in scripture. Read the Bible. He didn't heal them. He said, make your way, you'll be healed. So their healing was based on their faith to make their way to the priest. Go show yourself to the priest. So their healing has to come from their obedience. A lot of times, you are asking God to heal you. But God is saying that your healing is dependent on your faith. Every time Jesus eat in scripture, what did he say? It is your faith that makes you whole. Maybe your next, your next season is dependent on your obedience. A lot of you are asking for deliverance. All you need is a step. Let me help you. Should I help you, church? Maybe your next deliverer or your next level is based on your text message to the one who hurts you and tell them sorry. Should I say it again? Maybe your next level, your next level, your next breakthrough, your next millions is dependent on your faithful obedience to the one who hurts you. Why? Because God will test your heart and not your right. Are you hearing me, church? So you're coming to me every Sunday. Apostle, pray for me. I feel like a demon is attacking. It's not a demon. God is saying, take up that phone and message the one who hurts you so bad that you never forgive and tell them sorry. <laughs> That's for someone, by the way. I don't just speak words. And I don't know who this is for, but it's for someone. It might be your parents. It might be your friends. It might be your loved ones. That they've hurt you so bad, you want to curse them out and shut them out. But you pick up a phone and say to them, I'm sorry, let's forget about it. And you see God open doors for you. You never thought. Why? Because your next level is always dependent on your faith. Are you here in church? Yeah, you be, be, keep hating me there. Now you know. <laughs> anyway, 21. Then Peter went down and made them, the best 22 rather. And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has good reputation among all the nation of the Jews. So this guy was not a Jew. But the Jews honor him. But as divinely instructed by a holy angel. I said that word. The mentioned angel again. By a holy angel to summon you to this to his house. And to hear the words from you. So Peter had a word. They need a word. You need a word. I have a word. And whatever word I have is always divine. Are you here in church? Whenever you find a hungry man, you find a church. God will always be present for those that are hungry. Amen. Amen. 
Verse 23. They invited them and unlodged them. The next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied them. Remember, three men from Cornelius came, and Peter went with some men back. The Bible says in verse number 24, and the following day, they entered into what you call Caesarea, Caesarea. Now, Cornelius was waiting for them. Expectation is the room, hear me church, for your breakthrough. Nobody gets mistakenly delivered. In order to experience a breakthrough, you must wait. Somebody say wait. Procasterio, which means to wait steadfastly. I need a miracle, I must wait. Especially, now remember Peter had the word. You know, you, you, the most important time to wait at church, I think it's a Sunday. Where your faith is on a different level, I'm expecting God to move. I can imagine Cornelius in his house, gathered his family and friends, waiting for a word. Expectation. Never trivialize God's presence. Don't get used to your man of God or your woman of God. When someone climbs up this stage, they become what? A God. A representation of God. Never trivialize. I might be your apostle friend down there, but once I climb the stage, I become God's voice. The singer. Anyone here, once they climb this stage, they become inspired of God. Never trivialize who stands to represent God. I realize, and this is the truth, I'm not trying to take to be scared of me. I realize that most people who don't get blessed are those that are very close to their leaders. Because they don't know how to separate when he's in the spirit to receive him in honor and when he's in the flesh. Don't commonize or trivialize sacred things. You realize that even in ministry, most people outside of the pastor's life get more blessings than those close. Why? Because those that are close don't know how to honor what is close to them. The day you become very familiar with the one who put food on your table, you cannot receive from them. You can never receive from what you don't honor. Are you hearing? Never familiarize yourself with someone who covers you. Are you hearing, church? People ask me, how do I deliberately, okay, even myself and my apostle, and people say, how, how come you don't even look at his face? Not because I'm afraid of him, but because I honor him. I don't want to trivialize access. Are you here in church? The Bible says, they were waiting for them and had called together his relatives. So, Cardinals called his relatives and close friends. Hey, 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 bro, come. There's this guy coming to my house. He has the word of the Lord. He wasn't selfish. This guy, Cornelius, he was a reputable centurion, but also an evangelist. You, you don't have soldiers under you. You don't have maid under you. you don't even, you're not even a centurion. You cannot even bring a soul to church. You are too shy. This guy was a centurion, but was willing to invite his friends. And let me make it very clear. The Bible says his relatives and his friends. Let me ask you a question. It is one thing that you invite your friends and relatives and they don't come. It's another thing not to invite them at all then if that's the case, then I'm questioning your faith. Is it that bad that when you invite them, they will laugh at you? And say, you, church? <laughs> what kind of church is that? Many of you are really afraid to invite your friends. And this is the truth and families. Why? Because your Christian value is not shown before friends and families. So when you invite them, they will laugh at you. And say, you go to church. Oh, God, if you go to church, then God is coming down soon. It's true. So it's one thing to invite them and they don't come. 
But it's nothing to, to even invite them because you cannot even attest of your faith because you're too shy to invite them. I don't live the life of a Christian. How will I invite these ones? Okay? You still love me? Okay? Bible says, relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Globally, in a nutshell. Alright? But Peter lifted him saying, stand up. I myself am a man also. And I see, now, very important, hear me. Cornelius was a centurion with a hundred soldiers on him. But he recognized grace when he saw it. Don't trivialize those who God has called over your life. Bible says, says, stand up, I'm a man like yourself. 27. As he talked with him, he went in and found many who came together. 28. Then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one, or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me in that I should not call any man common or unclean the shit he saw. Therefore, I came with that objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked them, what is it that you've sent me for? The Bible said, now see what Cornelius had to say that you never read before. So Cornelius said, four days ago, I was what? Until now. You don't read it in verse number one. You all you read that he was praying. But he's been fasting till now. Are you hearing that? So this guy's been fasting for four days. So he was fasting when the angel gave him the message. Are you hearing me, church? He said, I'm fasting up till this very moment. I promise you, I know you like your food. But if you can take out a day a week, two days a week, three days a week, four days, just fast. If you can make it so much like a lifestyle, if you can, I promise you there were encounters that you never, you've never experienced, that you will experience just because you fasted. When you shut yourself, of the pre, the, 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 the uh, let's leave the, because you like your McDonald's. Anyway, Bible says, up till now, and at the night hour, I prayed in my house, and behold, a what? Behold, a what? Let's read verse 30 again. So Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this very hour, and at the night hour, I prayed in my house, and behold, I thought it was an angel. I thought, I thought it was a, I thought it was a guy with wings. It was an angel, but came in. Angels are always in the form of men. Be very careful of that winged creature that you saw when you prayed. Most times it's not God. That's why Caleb God said, Paul said that many of you have entertained angels on because they came like men. He said, I saw a man stood before me in bright clothing, tongue of no wings, and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your hands are remembered. It's interesting how you made mention of the prayer and the arms. 
and the hands has to be remembered in the sight of God. I pray for everyone that gives God, everyone that has given God, and everyone that will give God, that may your seed be remembered in heaven. In the name of Jesus, that everything that you put in the ground to expand the gospel of Christ and his kingdom, may God remember your seed. It shall multiply in the name of Jesus. There shall be no canker worm, there shall be no caterpillar, there shall be no evil that will come to your house to eat your harvest. In the name of Jesus, everyone will see that has been put forth for this commission. I prophesy that God shall give you supernatural abundance in the name of Jesus. Say amen. amen. And the Bible says in verse 32, Send therefore from Joppa and call Simon here, whose son name is Peter. It's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I send to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded to you by God. It's interesting because Peter is addressing a Gentile. It's wrong for him to even come close to a Gentile. And the Bible says in verse 34, now this is the part you need to hear. Verse 34, the Bible says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality or God is not a respecter of persons. God can use the apostle. He can use the janitor. He can use the usher. God can use anyone that he chooses to use. Stop disparaging people because they don't sound like your apostle. You know the problem with the church? Many of you are lacking because you believe that your apostle is the only one that can bless you. God is not a respecter of persons. God can put the words in Cadence's mouth and she just releases the word and you'll be blessed. The problem with the church, you elevate your leader so high but you disdain your brethren. God is no respecter of persons. God can choose to use anyone that he wills to do. Anybody at all. You do not know where your next blessing is coming from. It might be the sister close to you. It might be just a hug. It might be just a word. Be very careful how you treat people just because they're not on the pulpit. Bible says it's not a respect of person, shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and walks righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing somebody say doing good. Jesus was anointed to do good. He prophesied to do good. He didn't prophesy to break homes. Are you here in church? May I say this as I've said it before and I, say, I think it's becoming very common here. You cannot descend someone that you envy. If you are jealous of someone, you cannot have discernment about them. Actually, let me help you. You will never discern good about someone who you already preconceived as evil. If someone is not speaking with you or you don't like someone, every discernment you hear about them is always negative. In fact, don't discern about them. Because you never hear right when your heart is wrong. Because actually, that sister don't have a Jezebel spirit. 
You're just jealous you don't have a figure. I didn't, you didn't hear what I said. I said, that sister that you discerned and said she has a Jezebel, she doesn't have a Jezebel spirit. You are just jealous of her figure. And anything that would discredit that woman is what you prophesy. You prophesy where you're going. Are you hearing me, church? If someone is in a space where you want to be, speak good into them. Anyway, as I'm saying, before you interrupted. Then Peter answered, answered the verse 47. Can anyone forbid? No, 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 no. Uh, in verse number 30 what? Let's go to verse 40 now. Let's go to verse 38 again. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth in the Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all people, but to all the, wit the witnesses chosen before God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that is his, that he, that it is he who was ordained by God to be the judge and of the living and of the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive a remission of sin. And there's a problem here. Or there is something you may not realize. If you look at the scripture, what Stephen was unable to finish in Acts 7, that he was shot and stoned to death, Peter finished it here. Stevie was before the Sanhedrin and he was speaking to them about the purpose of Christ. And whilst he was speaking, they got agitated and they stood him to death. And he did not complete that sermon. This is the sermon that he was meant to finish. Peter just finished the sermon. Are you hearing, church? That the Bible said, now this would have happened to them if they let Stephen finish it. Now because the, the sermon is finished here, see what's going to happen. The Bible said in verse 3, to him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Ghost fell. So if the Sanhedrins had allowed Stephen to finish what Peter finished, they would have received the Spirit also. But the problem is in God's agenda. If they had received the Spirit, then it would have remained with them and not the Gentiles. That the Bible says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. Just like the Sanhedrin heard the word, fell upon those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision, what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you chapter 11 on, on Tuesday. And chapter 12, someone say amen. amen. That's what you like. <laughs> Bible says in verse 44, while Peter was still speaking. No interruption. No apostle. And the time is, yeah. Why Peter was still speaking? And that's why I give you a new time. You don't want the Holy Ghost to follow. <laughs> if you want the Holy Ghost, allow me to speak. 
while Peter was still speaking, this word, it wasn't interrupted. Looking at the clock. Somebody say while. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were, who were of the circumcision? The Jews. So Peter came with the Jews. Bible said those of the circumcision all who believed were blown away bananas. They were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit has been poured out on the Gentiles also. There's a reason why it's in God's agenda that Stephen brought the message but did not complete the message. The Sanhedrin testified that Jesus is the Messiah. But Peter testified even further. Remember, it was Paul that had the ministry of the Gentiles, but it was Peter that had the key. <laughs> Say it again. Paul did not have the key, but it was Peter who opened the doors to the Gentiles and Paul walked through. <laughs> the Bible says, and those who were of the circumcision who believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter because of the gift of the Spirit has come upon all the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. They heard them speak. And this is not a known language. This is an unknown tongues. Okay. They heard them speak in tongues and magnify God. So these guys were speaking in tongues and magnifying God. People read it like they spoke in tongues and people magnify God. No. They spoke in tongues and they magnify God. Now, what a lot of theologians believe was that they spoke in tongues and interpreted their tongues as magnifying God. Does that make sense? So, in this, in this, in this um, explanation, you could always see that they have the gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. So, not only did they speak in tongues, they spoke in tongues and explained it that they were magnifying God. Remember in Acts chapter number 2, when they spoke in tongues, they were speaking the wonderful acts of the Lord. Amen. So they spoke in tongues that was known in chapter number 2 of Acts. But in chapter number 10 of Acts, they spoke in tongues that was not known, but also the wonderful works of God. Are you following church? That the Bible says in verse number, that's in scripture, verse. Then Peter answered, can anyone forbid water? Is the thing still on there? The screen? Can anyone forbid water that this should not be baptized? Who have received the Holy Spirit as we have? All right, I want to do something quickly for you. Okay. I think my stuff is dead. All right. This is the part. Are you ready? Well, let's talk about three types of baptism here. There were three sons of Noah. Ham, I'm using my hand. Ham, Shem, okay. I love this. These three baptisms. The first one, Ham, in chapter number 
8 of the book of Acts was an Ethiopian. Remember when Philip went to the Ethiopian. Ham is the south, the black, Ethiopia. So the Ethiopian was baptized. Shem, Middle East, chapter 9. Saul was baptized. And Japheth, the Italians, the West, the centurion, was baptized. So you find that the three sons of Noah, chapter number 9, chapter, sorry, chapter number um, 8, chapter number 9, and chapter number 10. Are you following me? In chapter number 8, it was the Ethiopian that they called the Falashes. There's a part of Ethiopia even to date that believe that they are from the tribe of Levi called the Falashes. That believe they have the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, But an Ethiopian was baptized. That is from the tribe of Ham. In chapter number 9, a Shemite, a guy from Saul by name, Shem, was baptized. And then Japheth, the European, Italian regiment, was baptized. Isn't this interesting how the scripture from chapter number 9 to chapter number 8 to chapter number 10 would have these three baptisms per chapter and each of the people represented a child of Noah. Which means that it is from these three children of Noah we have the entire world. We have the blacks from Ham. We have the Middle East from Shem. And we have the West, Japheth. But it's interesting, you look at the scripture. Peter answered, can anyone forbid water? Let me make it very clear. I do not believe. This is me and this is my theology. I do not believe in baptismal regeneration. Which means that I don't believe that you are baptized to be saved. However, I believe that you are baptized because you are saved. Baptism doesn't get you saved. What gets you saved is your faith on the finished work of Christ on the cross. You are saved by faith alone, not faith with baptism. There are those that preach that you have to be baptized in order to be saved. No. Baptism is an external ritual of an internal confessional reality. So a baptismal regeneration, I those who believe that in order to be saved, you must first be baptized. May I also say to you, that baptism doesn't get you saved, it gets you wet. I'm, I'm, I'm done with this. I want to show you this in scripture. I've said it, shown it before. Show you in scripture. One moment. Chapter number 10. Can you please give me, I'm done with this last one. Can you please give me 1 Corinthians chapter number 10? Because a whole lot of people ask me about this part. How come every one of these guys baptized? Is it because they are saved? They were not baptized to be saved. They baptized. Remember, they already had the spirit on them already before they were baptized. They, didn't, they were not baptized by water and then baptized by the spirit. They were first baptized by the spirit and then by water. Are you following church? First Corinthians chapter number, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. I want to explain something for you quickly. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be what? Unaware that all our fathers, who are our fathers, the patriarchs, right? 
all our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through what? Stand for this one. Remember in the wilderness, they all went through the sea. Verse 11. We're all baptized into in the cloud and in the that's not true. Ask me how. Because they walked on dry land. How can they walk on dry land and were baptized? Because baptism is always into. It's an identification. When you get baptized, you baptize into Christ, not water. Actually, the fathers that walked on the dry land, the Bible says we are baptized. But we know that they walked on dry land, right? You read the scripture. Those they were wet died. Pharaoh and his chariots, the chariots, they were the ones that were wet and they died. So it's interesting that the one who walked on dry land was baptized. And the one who was wet died. <laughs> what does he mean? Baptism is always identifying you to someone. So if you are baptized in Christ, it is not the wetness that identifies you. It is not the water that identifies you. It is the testimony of Jesus. So when you say in the, in the name of the Father, you just get wet. That wet is nothing. You just wet your clothes. But it's an external ritual to prove. Now, you know what? Baptism is always for people, not for you. It's to prove to the people that you have been saved. So baptism doesn't wash your sins away. Jesus does. Are you following church? So we baptize you not to be saved. We baptize you because you are saved. Are you hearing me, church? That's the reason why Jesus didn't have to be baptized. He had no sin to wash away. John the Baptist who had sin baptized Jesus who had no sin. And let me make it worse for you. The first Baptist was not baptized. Who baptized John? We're going to put out a pool here sometime before the, before, before the maybe before the year runs out. I'm going to baptize you. The real <laughs> The real one. But baptism is your identification. The Bible says, all we are baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. That's the problem with that scripture. Because there was a wall that stood. The sea opened, parted, and they walked through dry land, but they were baptized. Why? Because what is baptism there? Baptism there, baptizo, doesn't mean to fall into water. It means to follow the one who parted away. Baptized into Moses. So if you're, you're baptized into Jesus, not into water. Are you hearing me, church? Many of us have to be baptized because they, because they told us wrong. So when you go then, you identify with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But all through scriptures, in the book of Acts, we read that these guys already have the gift of the Spirit before they are baptized in water. What does that mean? It means that they are already born again, then they are baptized. It wasn't the water, then the Spirit. It's always the Spirit, then the water. Because the Spirit, and this is the truth, baptism of the Spirit is not tongues. Baptism of the Spirit is identification. We are baptized into Christ to become a member of the body. 
you go to churches and they say, lift up your hands to receive the baptism. That's actually heresy. Because you can only be baptized once. But you are in field every other time. So there is no tongues coming on you. If you are doing that, you are faking it. <laughs> Baptism of the Spirit is to identify you to the body of Christ. It's always once and for all. But the infilling of the Spirit is what makes you speak in tongues. And baptism of the spirit doesn't make you strong in the spirit. It puts you in the body. It is the indwelling of the spirit that makes you fight and war. I guess I'm trying to say, if you're a preacher, hear me. Don't go out and say you're part of the Brooklyn and say, if you want to receive the baptism, you already receive when they say they're born again. Jesus received, Jesus, was, Jesus never received the baptism. He received an indwelling. Matthew 4, Luke number 4, chapter number 4. And I had to bring this sermon in, in Acts. Why? Because a lot of believers teach baptismal regeneration that when you're baptized, you're born again. No. You're, you're born again the very moment you say, I receive you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. That is baptism already. You identify Jesus. Then if you want to make a public declaration for, for a certificate, we can give you a certificate. If you want the paper, they will wet you. It's like ordination. There is not like ordination. It's affirmation. Because you were ordained before you were born. Affirmation is to publicly declare you that you are called. No man can ordain you. He can only affirm you. Are you hearing me, church? Yeah. Give the Lord a hand. Yeah. I love chapter number 10. Because we see the life, I mean, I'm just running off now in, one, in two minutes. We see the life of a man who was actually a centurion. Now, listen, church. Look, look at me, church. I want to explain this to you. There are ten cohorts, cohorts attached to a centurion. And five cohorts have 600 soldiers. So this guy by the name of Cornelius has ten cohorts, which means he has 1,200. A, a so 600 on one side in Caesarea and 600 in Jerusalem. It was a man of high repute. But one of the things we see in scripture, it was a man who prayed. Listen, he was a man of high repute who had soldiers that waited on him continually. He fasted. He had enough. He fasted and prayed. One of the mistakes you've made, and we say the Lord, pray until something happens, is the mistake you have to stop. You don't pray until something happens. You pray even after it happens. People say push. I say push. You pray after something happens. You should be pushing, not pushing. Because many of you, you pray. Once it happens, you stop praying. You see the problem with that? It means that you're sick in the hand of God and not the heart of God. But we don't pray until something happens. We'll pray after it happens. We pray more because it's happened. Are you hearing me, church? We saw this guy who was a centurion. You, you're just, I, I don't want to trivialize you because the Bible says don't call anything common. You're not even like this guy, Cornelius, and you're too proud to fast. Too proud to pray. This guy prayed, Bible says for four days he was praying. He prayed until God, until God sent an angel. Let's come together and pray as a church. You don't want to do it to church. I'm going to do it my own way. But not, that's not the, that's not the, he, he, he did that and, and sent men. And when Peter came, and Peter was the guy who had no class. He was the fisherman. Hear me, church? Honor. What you never honor, you never drink from. 
Are you hearing me, church? Not just your pastors, people. Learn to honor people. It doesn't matter whether you're, you're the same. Honor people. The Bible says when, when this guy came, Peter came, Cornelius saw him from a distance, round and prostrated. He understood who he was. It's only in this generation that people trivialize prophets. Back in the day, when a prophet came to a city, the king would run. In the Bible, the king would hide themselves behind their curtains. A, a, a prophet came for two things, commendation or condemnation. A prophet was so feared that even kings would, would hide. In this day and age, your tabby, your prophet said, hey bro. <laughs> You're broing the one who is covering you. Hey bro. In only in this day and age, hey bro. And you wonder why the words they speak doesn't work for you. You cannot trivialize who covers you. And that's the reason why this guy, he understood that even though he was a man with hundred, Peter had no one. Peter had no sons. But what did he do? He dobale. Dobale means to prostrate. On the floor. And Peter says, rise up. I'm a man like you. What am I trying to say? There were dimensions in God. There were realms in God. You must understand that the only way God can elevate you is your, 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 your what's it called again? When you go down. Your humility will open doors for you. Will open doors. I, I, I don't know if I'm humble enough. I don't know about that enough. But wherever I go, I have the privilege of hearing stuff like, he's so humble. And I'm thinking, I think I'm proud. You know what I say, so humble? Should I tell you the reason why? Because you don't have to wait for 50 days or 40 days or 20 days or one week to see your apostle. He just laughs with everybody. Why would I not laugh with everybody? Who am I? A privilege to speak to God's people. But you will not trivialize what God has given me. I refuse. I refuse to be used and abused. I refuse. Now I realize that the, the church will dishonor you when you make yourself available to them. I refuse. So sometimes people say stuff like, my pastor don't have time for me. But I, I, I begin to wonder, but did he have a hard time for you one time and you messed it up? Is there a reason why he's feeling like I don't have time anymore now? And I realized this guy by the name of Cornelius, with everything that he had, he was expectant. He was hungry. I, I need more. I don't know how full you are here, but you act like you have it all. Like, I don't need it. I don't need it. I, I know what he's saying. You, you act like you have it all. But we see the life of a man that had an angelic encounter, but he wasn't afraid to fast and pray. Pray, you're, 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 you're doing Cinderella. And, and, and you say, God, God, open the heavens for me. And this man fasted and prayed. Rise up on your feet. Or sit down first. Yeah. Hear me. I, what I want to say will shock me, but I want to say it. If you haven't traveled a lot, and what I want to say will shock a lot of people, what I want to say right now, it will shock my wife. If you really haven't traveled a lot, the way you look at things are different. You know, in, in England, we keep saying stuff like you guys are not serious. Actually, when you travel outside of this part of the world, you actually know that you guys are actually doing better than I thought you were doing. 
Because in the other part of the world, those guys don't know Jesus. They don't love God like it's shown on TV. And sometimes you travel to this part of the world and you see the mess going on in the church. You will come back and you appreciate your house. Because a lot of times, because we are very close to you, we want it to be better. I'm not trying to, you, you guys are doing well. And I want you to know that we're encouraging you to be better. Are you hearing me, church? It's not everything throwing missile. Today I want to honor you and I want to thank you. For hearing what sometimes. <laughs> because sometimes when you travel and see what, and here's what some Christians do. You will come back to your church and say, you guys are doing well. Well done. Honestly, well done. We can do better. Put your hands together for yourselves. Yeah.